Okay, good evening, everybody. Welcome back to Exploring the Lord of the Rings. This is session number 77. So good to have you back with me on multiple different places. We've got folks on Discord, of course. We've got uh, people listening on uh, to our Twitch channel, twitch.tv slash signumu. Uh, we have people uh, live with me here on Twitter, and of course, people in game here on the Crick Hollow server, uh, joining me in the lower hall in Bree. So, welcome everyone, wherever you are, and whenever it happens to be for you. It is time for chapter 12 tonight. Can you even believe the progress? that we are making here, session 77, and we're already to chapter 12. This is the last chapter of book one. We are seriously threatening, threatening, I say, to finish book one by the end of this calendar year. I mean, it could happen. If you think about it, it could happen. We did spend 15 weeks on chapter 11 in retrospect, so that was a lot, Uh, and we don't really have 15 full weeks left in the year, but that's okay. I think... um, We'll be, we'll be okay. Uh, anyway, I was just chatting with, uh, with Trish before the class and, you know, I, this is, uh, you know, I'm so enjoying doing this series with you guys. And this is, you know, cause this, this is really <clears throat> probably the single biggest teaching project I will ever undertake. You know, we're going to have many, many hours, right, uh, of material. I mean, we could have a thousand hours uh, of material just as we read through one read-through of The Lord of the Rings here together. Uh, And I've never... um I will certainly never do anything like this again. I will never go through the Lord of the Rings like this ever again. So, uh, But we'll see, and we'll see what comes of it after that. So anyway, just thanks, everybody, for being with me Uh, uh, for for all of this, uh, for this historic... I was going to say moment, but of course, it's it's only a moment very broadly defined, right, uh, for this uh, historical epoch, more likely. Uh, but exactly, Mad Violinus was thinking of the same phrase there. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, so, Katriana, you're right. You should get some kind of something, right? I mean, if you go through this with me, I agree. There should be some kind of certificate or badge or something that you earn, right? Uh, if you, uh, if you, uh, if you, if you did all that. But, um, uh, anyway, let's see. So I, I estimated book one would be finished by episode 90, ZS Gamer. Yeah, well, we still might hit that. We, we, we got a good chance. In fact, yeah, actually, that's still a pretty good prediction. I think uh, that's uh, that's that's pretty good. Um, anyway, yeah, t-shirts. Yeah, Sharon, I agree. There should totally be t-shirts. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but um, yeah, cool. So anyway, all right. So I'm going to uh, uh, tonight is of course the second week of our fundraising campaign. We I would you know introduce that and talked about that last week. We're still in the middle of our fundraising campaign for Signum University. The one time a year when I'm you know we ask everybody to help us you know, help keep the lights on here at Signum University, help us continue to uh, you know uh, be able to produce this content and not only continue. Uh, but we're looking to expand in some really exciting ways. I encourage you, by the way, well, for lots of reasons, but I encourage you to attend uh, the uh, the webathon that we're doing next 
uh, what is that? No, the 13th. The, uh, so the Saturday after this coming one, on Saturday the 13th, uh, is the, the, the end of Campaign Webathon. We're going to be doing a whole bunch of, uh, of really awesome segments, and I'll tell you more uh, about that later on. Uh, more, more details about what's going to be happening in the Webathon. But one of the things that is certainly going to be happening in the Webathon is the State of the University Address, in which I'm going to be talking about uh, some of the new things that we're looking to, uh, to launch and expand in this coming year, including uh, an I would actually even say uh, principally focused upon uh, MythGuard and our free MythGuard programs, uh, wanting to, to sort of branch out and reach out with that more uh, and add on to uh, not replacing anything, but adding on to the things that we already do. So that's going to be really fun. I hope you'll uh, tune in and uh, hear about all the stuff that's going on uh, that's going on there. Um so, uh, yeah, anyhow, so it's, uh, so we're doing our fundraising campaign. As I say, I encourage you to, uh, give if you can, um, the, uh, the address, uh, as, uh, as it was last week is right here at the, the bottom corner, uh, of my slides. Uh, so that's, uh, signumuniversity.org slash donate, uh, is the donation, uh, page where you can make a, a one-time donation or a monthly donation, uh, monthly donations, even small monthly donations are enormously, enormously, uh, helpful for Signum University. And it's a great way for you to make an even bigger impact with still just, a, you know, it's just five, 10 bucks a month, um, uh, it would be uh, it would make a huge difference. So, um, yes. Whereas exactly, Brandon, this Saturday is Middle Moot. So I'm going to be. This, that's why I had. To, of course, I almost said coming up this weekend, but of course not. No, the Webathon is next weekend because this weekend I'm going to be in Kansas City for Middle Moot, um, which is going to be great, great fun. Uh, our regional moot program has been super exciting. Uh, I've let you know the Bay Moot uh, out in, uh, uh, in in Oakland. Uh, is the last one that I went to, of course, in August. The next one coming up here is this coming weekend. In just a few days, I'll be in Kansas City, uh, which means, by the way, anybody who's in the Kansas City area, first of all, if you're in the Kansas City area, why aren't you coming, right? You should totally be coming to Middle Moot if you're not. Um, but whether you're coming to the Moot or not, if you're anywhere near Kansas City on Friday night, I hope you'll be able to, to join us. I'm going to be tweeting out some uh, uh, some uh, information about where we're going to be. We're having a little gathering the night before, and then, uh, of course, we're going to have the Moot on Saturday. It's going to be great fun. Um, so, um, yeah, yeah. And Tony, yeah, I am going to be giving an update on our credentialing process uh, to let everybody know exactly where things stand uh, with that and everything. It's been, of course, we're still in the middle of, I was going to say a huge year. Really, we're kind of right square in the middle of a huge two years, really. But um, anyway, so... Oh, ZS Gamer, you're going to be there. Awesome. Good. Great to see some people who are going to be at Middle Moot. It's going to be a great crowd is going to be there. I'm really looking forward to uh, uh, to seeing you guys uh, and to getting to hang out a little bit again. I've never been to Kansas City before, so I'm really excited to get to Kansas City. Um, so... Uh, uh, yeah. Anyway, that's going to be, uh, th that's going to be great, great fun. So now as I did last week, let me remind you of a couple special things that we're doing, um, to, to sort of celebrate people. Of course we have, like, if you donate to Signum University, we give you lots of presents, uh, and privileges, uh, to just to thank you for your support and your donations. Uh, and you can go to signumuniversity.org slash fund, F-U-N-D. Uh, and, and on that page, you can read more about our donor reward program to see all the awesome things that you get. Um, when you, um, uh, when you, uh, donate. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> that's the word I was looking for. So, uh, anyway, we have all those things and I'm not going to review all those things now, but we also have two other special things that I wanted to remind you of that I wanted to do again this week. Many of you have done this already, but if you've made a donation, we're, we're doing, a 
we're doing a, a special drawing, uh, which we're going we're to do the actual drawings and give away the stuff uh, at the Webathon on the 13th. Um, but uh, for everybody who makes a donation, if you just send an email to the email address there at the bottom of the little red box on the screen, donate at signumu.org. If you send an email to that address, mention Exploring the Lord of the Rings. We'll enter you into the Exploring the Lord of the Rings drawing. Uh, the drawing, we're going to do three. We're going to draw three prizes, um, three winners. They will get each one get a, an anytime audit course, like an, an anytime a seat in one of our anytime audit uh, classes. So you go to our Signum University catalog, every course that we have there available, you can pick among them and you'll get full access to that course asynchronously. So you get access to all the lectures and all the material and all the readings and you get access to our library resources and everything else. You'll be, you'll be an asynchronous student uh, of Signum University, an asynchronous auditor of, of one of our courses. Uh, normal tuition for each class is $95 and we'll be giving uh, those away. Uh, we'll be giving three of those away to three people that we draw. And in addition to the grand prize winner we're also uh going to be we're also going to be giving uh away a special prize to our grand prize winner uh for this and that is we're going to give you an anytime audit seat and we're also going to give you um uh an opportunity to have a a a special to sort of determine a special feature here on exploring the lord of the rings uh if you if you are in game or if you're interested in 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 the the sort of uh exploration that i've been doing also after our book discussion uh, of the Lord of the Rings online world. Um, we can do a, a sort of a, a special, you know, I'll turn on your mic and we'll, we'll do a special, uh, a special field trip wherever you want to go. We can, we can, we, we can go together if you're in game or we can just turn on your mic and, uh, and you can, you can talk and we can talk together, uh, if you're not in game or if you want to do something else, if you wanted to do some other topic of discussion, maybe there's something that we've touched on that you're not satisfied about and you want to go back. I know there are a bunch of people who have, uh, thoughts like that. I'd be happy to go back and talk over something with you, uh, raise another topic, um, and have that discussion after class one night in, in the place of the field trip. So we'll see, we'll see what happens. We'll see what, what, uh, our grand prize winner chooses to do. So, uh, that's what we're going to do now. Now, in addition, I want to do drawings like I did last week, uh, two drawings just for people who are here tonight. Uh, and there's going to be two, one is just going to be an attendee drawing. So everybody who's here in attendance, I'll do a drawing. Uh, uh, I'll draw the name of one person from all, everybody who's here in all of our different venues, uh, uh, for attendance. And, uh, I will pick a winner and the winner of that drawing will get the winner of our drawing will get one of two different prizes. I'm throwing an extra prize in this week. Last week we did the book prize, which is pretty cool. And I'm going to do that again. So you have the opportunity to choose one of these five books that we were offering last week. Uh, My Hobbit book, Harry Potter and the Sorcerer slash Philosopher's Stone, Unfinished Tales by J.R.R. Tolkien, Sauron Defeated by J.R.R. Tolkien, the next upcoming Mythgard Academy book after we finish uh, Sir Thomas Mallory, and then uh, Dune by Frank Herbert. So you can choose one of these five books and we'll give you a free copy of the book with a special uh, customized book plate that I wrote up and signed. So that's, uh, that's, that's one prize that you can choose if you win. Here's the other prize that you can choose if you win. The other prize you can choose is two complimentary tickets to the regional moot of your choice, right? So if there's, uh, you know, our regional moots have been spreading around the country and even around the world, uh, most likely there's one that's within travel range of you. Uh, and if that's the case, we will, g- I'll give you two tickets, one for you and one for a friend, uh, to come down to the regional moot and we'll, we'll, we'll pay for that. Okay. Um, 
All you have to do is get uh, is uh, just get yourself there, and we'll you'll be our guest for the day. Um, so you can choose one of those two things. You can choose the book, or uh, or or you can choose two tickets to the regional moot of your choice. Now I said I'm going to do two drawings. One I'm going to do among all the attendees, everybody who's here in all the different venues. The um, the second uh, drawing that I'm going to do are for people who make donations during the course of class tonight. So if you, uh, if you, if you, if you give again, go to signumuniversity.org slash donate, make a donation during the course of class tonight, you'll get a, an extra, extra chance to win same prizes, either a book or the, uh, two, two tickets to the regional moot of your choice. Okay. So that is what we're going to do uh, tonight. I'm going to do that at the end of our book discussion and before we go off on the field trip. All right. Okay. All right. Um, so uh, that's uh, that's the plan. So thanks, everybody, again, who has been supporting us. Our fundraising has been uh, a huge success so far. We've already raised uh, over $40,000 total, uh, which is absolutely fantastic. Um, you know, we are, our, our goal this year, we need $60,000 uh, to meet our to meet our budget. Uh, and that's the same as last year. We also need another $20,000 to complete the credentialing process. We have a lot of fees we have to pay uh, as we're working through uh, the process as we're applying for accreditation. So there's a it's not free. So, uh, we have, we, so we're looking for a total of $80,000 that we'll need over the course of the year. Um, so we're already more than halfway to that big, big goal, uh, of $80,000, which is huge. So thanks. Great. Thanks to everyone uh, who has helped already, but there's still plenty of room, uh, for more help. So, uh, so thanks for that. Okay. And yeah, I'm delighted to see I'm seeing a whole bunch of people, uh, both in Discord and uh, and on Twitch, mentioning that they're going to be at Middlemoot this weekend. I'm I'm excited. I, I I'm looking forward to meeting you. I I I mean, I can't even tell you how much I enjoy uh, traveling to all of these events and getting to meet folks. You know, there's so many of you that I will you know they only know as a name, right, or a, or a, or a sort of a login pseudonym or whatever. Um, and uh, really great to get to connect with folks uh, and uh, really kind of. Uh, put a face to it. So, um, yeah, yeah. Um, Tony, you can let's see. We actually don't have the uh, the the code for the credentialing right now. Um, if you want to specify it, uh, that you could do that. Um, again, the thing that you could do is just send an email to donate at signumu.org. Um, but um, but of course, you can you can also trust that we are certainly going to put uh, everything that we get above our budget uh, to the credentialing fund. That is definitely going to be the destiny uh, of uh, of of that fundraising. So. Um, yeah, yeah, cool. Anyway, so thank you guys so much for the support that you've given. Thank you. Those of you who are donating during class and as I said, we're going to do a special second drawing, uh, to thank you guys for, uh, um, for your donations during class this week. Okay. All right. Let's, uh, get back into the text here. So there were two, um, comments from the discussion board that I wanted to bring up. And this first one is from uh, Zephan. I think Zephan is how I'd pronounce it. Zephan 12. And uh, Zephan, I, I, I'm particularly grateful for for uh, for this. Zephan is calling me on something that I said last week, which was obviously and manifestly lame, right? Like the lamest interpretation I've given in quite some time. Um, and that is the whole question of what was Aragorn doing while Frodo was under attack, right? We addressed that last time. And the 
one thing that I said, which Zephan was kind enough to say made perfect sense, is that it's pretty clear that Aragorn doesn't leave and come back, right? It's not like he ditches them. And so that when he's leaping in from the darkness in the very last paragraph of that chapter, as, you know, Frodo sees him, it's clearly just like into Frodo's vision that he's leaping, right? He's not, he, he didn't leave and come back. He's been there the whole time. But... When confronted with the question, what on earth then was he doing during that time, uh, I was kind of taking refuge in the comparatively, no, not comparatively, the absolutely uh, and in uh, unquestionably lame uh, uh, excuse that he put, that like he didn't really have time to do much, right? Um, that it all kind of happened too fast. And on the one hand, I still stand by the fact that I think this thing is over much faster than it feels like, right? I think that Tolkien does a great job of... It's one of those scenes that I really do think takes much... Um, takes more time to read than it took to act, you know, to to enact, right? Um, a lot of the description that way, especially the description of the ring wraiths and stuff, right? We get these moments as if sort of frozen in time. The whole thing is really from Frodo's point of view, right? So, you know, we get this long description of the, you know, the face of the ring wraiths as they become clear to them and everything. It's, that doesn't take much time, right? You know, he puts on the ring and he sees them and wham, there they are, right? But anyway, so it does, I think, not take very much time. But it is certainly true that Aragorn, who had already told them to, like, uh, take sticks from the fire and stand back to back had plenty of time to pick up two sticks himself, right? So he's got to be holding the two sticks he's got in his hands uh, before they even come into the thing. And so what, like I'm, I'm saying that like the ring wraiths come forward and they're described as moving slowly. Uh, so like Aragorn is like in, maybe he alone is in heroic slow motion, right? While everybody else is in, is in, is in fast motion. So, you know, it's, um, Anyway, I agree. Like, he just didn't have time to do it. Like, this is his first reaction. Clearly lame. So, Zephan took me up on that and has some really interesting thoughts here. He's, uh, he says, If, one, Aragorn is already in a defensive position with two flaming brands before the Nazgul even enter the Dell, and two, if the Nazgul approach slowly, and three, if Aragorn's desperate counterattack is to wave flaming brands at the Nazgul, as of course we see when he jumps in at the end, then, four, he should have been able to do so before Frodo is stabbed. Um, and, and I would say, by the way, this is uh, Zephan's comment it was quite long. Uh, he's already kind of gone through and provided textual evidence to support all four of those points before he sums them up here uh, in what I've put at the beginning of the slide. Even if the flaming brands would not be very effective, looking ahead, Aragorn does not credit himself with repelling the Nazgul. This was still Aragorn's desperate plan in the heat, chill, of the moment, and he should have enacted it before the stabbing. In class, we talked about how the Witch King is casting forth his power, but we also emphasized that he's failing to put it to full effectiveness. The Witch King is sending his power to terrify the hobbits and to spur on the lesser Nazgul. But what if he is also creating... Uh, sorry, but what if he is also casting a great amount of power over Aragorn? If Aragorn is the center of the spiritual resistance of the company, then trying to stifle his influence would be wise... <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I'm just looking ahead and seeing I actually pasted this twice. No wonder it's the type is so small. Sorry about that. Anyway, okay. Um... Sorry, uh, if Aragorn is the center of the spiritual re resistance of the company, then trying to stifle his influence would be wise on the part of the Witch King. We already see that the Witch King's influence is spread thin. 
What if he wins momentarily in causing Aragorn to hesitate, but then cannot keep hold of him? Which is why Aragorn then springs into action. Additionally, what if the Witch King amps up the the influence on Aragorn to keep him rooted at the very moment he approaches Frodo? If so, Aragorn's hesitation, momentary increase of the Witch King's power over him, would occur at the same moment as Frodo's leap to action, decrease of the Witch King's power over him. I think that this is, uh, uh, Ziff and I think this is totally sensible. I'd also add that Zephan said that, uh, you know, he was acknowledging, and again, I cut out this bit. He was acknowledging that, you know, any theory about what's happening here is complete. There's, there's no text to support it, right? And, and for the very good reason that what we are getting is very clearly Frodo's point of view, right? And especially once Frodo begins to be sort of overpowered uh, by that compulsion to put on the ring, and then he submits to that compulsion, and he's got the ring on, and and the Witch King, and you know, they're all their their eyes are piercing him, and we talked at length about the piercing last time. You know that whole experience, he is not aware of much else that's going on, right? We notice how even the other hobbits drop out of the picture, right? We, we see Merry and Pippin fall to the ground. We see Sam, you know, sort of uh, uh, crouching there next to Frodo, but unable to do anything from that moment, you know, it's again, and, and it's at that moment that Frodo begins to, to, to feel the compulsion to put on the ring from that point on, he's focused. And so therefore the narrative is, we don't know what anybody else is doing at that point. Um, so, um, uh, so anyway, I definitely think that, uh, it seems to me very like, so I think that Zephan's reading is a very good one. It's very logical, right? Cause again, we, we, we have every reason to think that Aragorn stayed there. He didn't run off, um, and come back. That, that seems just silly. Um, there's really no reason I think even to suspect that. Um, and as Zephan has pointed out, logically speaking, he can't just be sitting there waiting and now he's springing uh, forward. He, If he were there waiting and fully capable of springing forward to attack the Nazgul and try to repel them uh, with his will and with his flaming sticks, right? Um, he'd, he'd have done that so, uh, earlier on. So clearly, for some reason, right, he didn't attack right away. And so why didn't he attack right away? Seems to me to uh, Zephan's explanation seems to me perfectly fair, right? Um, that he was afraid, right? That the will of the witch King, uh, was over, that there was a temporary victory, right? By the witch King over Aragorn there. Um, and it, it, I agree with Zephan that it makes sense to me too, that the witch, one of the things that the witch King would be doing, right? He was compelling, uh, Frodo to turn to put on the ring, and he was suppressing Aragorn. Aragorn was the center of the spiritual resistance um, of the hobbits, like from the Dell, right? He was the one singing the Baron and Luthien song. We've got to neutralize that guy, right? Clearly, um, he could start singing another song or something, right, at any second. So, so by all means, let's kind of get him out of commission. Um, so, uh, yeah. Anyway, I, I I definitely think that that's. Um, that seems to me a very good reading. Um, and of course, I agree with Zephan that the coincidence between Frodo's lunging forward to attack and crying out Elbereth Gilthonio and Aragorn's jumping forward with flaming brands, I don't think that that's an accident, right? I don't think that he, Aragorn, was waiting for that opportune moment. Um, I, I very much agree with Zephan. The opportune moment is to prevent the, the dude from stabbing Frodo, right? So he's not going to wait until after the guy attacks Frodo and then jump in of his own fight. That's not going to be his plan, 
right? That's clearly not Aragorn's plan A. So something has to have stopped him, and it makes perfect sense that it would be the Witch King that stopped him, and it would also make perfect sense that the the Witch King's resolve, the Witch King's sort of suppression um, of Aragorn's counter, right, uh, uh, would, uh, would falter when Frodo attacks, and especially when Frodo calls out Ilbereth uh, Gilthonio. So, uh, foo-foo, that is my answer to that question, what made him snap back into action. Frodo's calling out Ilbereth Gilthonio would be my answer to that question. That's the moment that he springs back into action, and it makes all kinds of sense. We have every reason to think, based on what we were looking at last time, that when... well. when Frodo calls out Ielberth Gilthonio, or when Ielberth Gilthonio bursts forth out of Frodo, which is perhaps a better way of saying it, that's the moment when everything else happens, right? It's the moment when we see Aragorn jumping in. That's the moment when the ring rates run away. Things are broken at that point. The the what power the Witch King was able to uh, 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 sort of enforce over the people in the Dell is obviously broken. At that moment, you can obvious by the fact that he ran that they ran away. Obvious um, by the fact that uh, that that uh, again, and and that's also the moment when Aragorn runs in. So I would I would be tempted uh, to say that rather than the fact that they happen at the same time invites the possibility that it's Aragorn who drove them away, right, with his flaming sticks. But I'm actually. Th- the, the more we think about it and the more we look at it, I'd rather suspect it to work, in fact, the other way around, right? That Aragorn's jumping in with flaming sticks is a consequence of the spell that broke the power of the Nazgul, rather than being the thing that caused the power of the Nazgul to break. In other words, they're not running away from Aragorn jumping in with flaming sticks. They're running away by this, uh, from the same thing or for the same reason that Aragorn has been freed and enabled to jump forward with flaming sticks, that makes um, that makes all kinds of sense uh, uh, to me. Um, so uh, so yeah, and, and again, it's not to say that it doesn't do anything, right? I mean, it, it could well be that the combination of the two things. We know that Aragorn's will matters, right? Aragorn's will is very strong, and we know that this is a, this is a battle of wills the whole time. This is a spiritual battle from the beginning. If Aragorn, as their sort of, you know, the sort of spiritual leader of the party is leaping to the attack, um, right, with his flaming sticks, that's, that's, that's a, an aggressive move, right? That is, that is a, a viable counterattack opposing the sort of the, 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 the oppression and fear uh, that they had been trying to lock everybody in and may possibly have locked him successfully into. Um, so, um, <clears throat> Yeah, yeah, I think that that's, um, it makes all kinds of sense to me. By the way, I should apologize in advance, so, uh, I, my children have given me this, like, death cold, um, you know, like kids do, right? Um, my wife says it's RSV or something like that, which I can never remember what it stands for. Respiratory something or other virus. I think that's what the S stands for, something or other. Uh, but anyway, uh, so yeah, so I've got, like, I'm sick, uh, and so I might get snotty at some point during class tonight, and I'm hoping I won't lose my voice. Uh, but anyway, so just, I apologize if uh, things start to go sideways during the course of class tonight. Um, anyway, um, so... Yeah, I know Amethorn, right? Kids, I mean, it's like, it's that's it, 
right? I mean, it's uh, uh, as my sister-in-law is used to say, uh, germs in footed pajamas. But anyhow, um, uh, right. Okay. So um, t- anyway, so thanks, Zeph, and I, I feel much better about that. I began my my explanation that uh, you know like it just happened too fast and he was too slow. Clearly lame. Um, we don't have a clear. Um, we don't we don't have any and again we don't have any clear evidence of the text of what was happening do i think it's possible that somebody and i i forget uh uh i forget some uh who was saying this i saw it go by a little bit earlier on but um the sort of the counter argument was that you know aragorn doesn't show signs of uh you know having been like locked in the grip of fear which is true but then again he's been freed from it Right. Uh, and he's, it's not just like he shook it off or like, you know, he got better. Right. It, the spell was broken by the name of Elbereth. Right. And I suspect, as we were talking about last week, by the power of Elbereth, in fact, um, which I think, I don't see any reason not to think that that can be marvelously reviving, re- reviving. Right. Um, so if he had been sort of locked down uh, in, uh, in, 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 in fear or despair or whatever exactly was the emotion that was sort of suppressing Aragorn while the Witch King was advancing on Frodo. Um, it, it, when that snaps, I, I would uh, believe that it would snap, uh, especially under those circumstances. I can easily believe that it would snap quickly, not to mention the fact, again, this is Aragorn we're talking about, right? His will is strong. Um, and once that spell was snapped, I think that he would be able to assert himself. And even if he is dealing with some kind of like emotional afterburn, you know, of whatever very strong emotion he had been feeling, I think he'd power through it because he's Aragorn and he's awesome that way. Um, so, uh, anyway, um, yeah, Tarlonio, that is interesting. We do, of course, know, remember, yeah, Tarlonio is is, uh, reminding us of the, uh, uh, remember Aragorn's uh, little PTSD moment with the Nazgul, right? We know, or, okay, we have every reason to believe that Aragorn has had his own very negative encounter with the Nazgul before. We don't know what it was, right? We never learned any details about it. But given his, you know, the look that comes over his face and his trembling, as we talked about at the time, he he looks very much like somebody who is having a PTSD reaction, something which Tolkien himself would doubtless have seen many, many times uh, from himself and his colleagues who were in the trenches in World War One, right? I'm sure that although it didn't get talked about that much, you know, back then, uh, he was no stranger to that look that came over people's faces when they were suddenly remembering uh, their time in the trenches, right? So, um uh, not to mention, of course, the time that he was spending, and I, that, that's a little bit later, of course, than his uh, writing of this passage. Uh, but of course, I'm thinking he's going to be going through that again with his own kids, uh, you know, including one of his sons, Michael, if I'm remembering correctly, who came home pretty badly wounded um, from World War II. So Christopher escaped reasonably well, um, physically, I mean, uh, from World War II, but, but Michael was in a bad way for a while. So again, he doubtless, he would have been ex- uh, experiencing that, um, there as well. Anyway, um, yeah, yeah. Um, and yeah, Matt, I wonder if that could have been part of it too. Matt is, uh, uh, wondering if, um, 
you know, Frodo's crying out at the moment of his and the Witch King's charge, uh, lets Aragorn know which direction to move in before then he wouldn't see clearly, quite literally, where to lunge. Now, he'd still be able to see their cloaks, but, you know, I wonder if a kind of blindness could be associated with that, too. It, it seems to me very, uh, uh, very possible. Um, yeah, however it's manifested, and we don't know, right? Because we don't, I mean, it would be kind of interesting to, um, in fact, you know, one of the things I was thinking about after class last time, um, it would be a really fun kind of thought experiment, really hard to do, but it would be a really fun thought experiment to rewrite this scene from several different people's point of views, right? To try to kind of get a, a better understanding of what was going on here. I would love to. So basically this, the book gives us this story from Frodo's point of view, um, this encounter from Frodo's point of view. It would be really interesting to rewrite this scene from the Witch King's point of view, from like Joe Nazgul's point of view, right? From Sam's point of view, from Aragorn's point of view, um, because it would doubtless, the whole thing would not only feel very different, but look very different, I think, uh, to all of them. Uh, and, uh, and I think that that's, uh, yeah, fourth thought said that we did suggest that, uh, they're all subject to the black breath, which we know affects Mary's sight. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, anyway, yeah, I, I, I think it would be really cool actually to do that as a kind of project, um, uh, just to kind of explore. And obviously it's all non-canonical. We don't know for sure exactly what was happening from their point of views, but we can kind of put some things together, I think. And I think that that would be interesting. Um, uh, Crownless asks, do I think Tolkien did that? Well, I'm not saying I, th uh, I'm not saying he didn't. One thing I will say about this is that, um, this is one of those moments and there are many of them. Um, but this is one of those moments which emerged almost perfectly the very first time he wrote it. The very first time he got to this scene, the details of this, are, almost nothing has changed, right? I mean, this is, it's, not quite word for word. He made a couple changes here and there of uh, a particular expression. But this scene in exactly, in almost entirely its final form, um, emerged the very first time he wrote it. That That's not always true by any stretch uh, with Tolkien's stuff in The Lord of the Rings. Um, but it, 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 it happens. There are some scenes that just kind of boom, you know, he discovers them and they're there and that's, that's it, right? That's the thing. Um, this is one of those. So... Did he ever think about it from other point of views, uh, Crownless? I think he, he might well have done, but there's certainly nowhere else that he ever sort of wrote that, right? Because th this is this is the version of the attack under Weathertop. Um, yeah. Um, but uh, anyhow, okay, cool. I had to get sorry for the tiny type because I, I didn't even notice that I... <laughs> double tapped the paste button there. Uh, my apologies. Uh, okay, second one. Um, and this is uh, from Evil Dr. Cannon. Thanks for this. Toast. Anyway, thanks, Zephan, for, for, for pointing that out. That was great. Um, now, Evil Dr. Cannon says... Uh, he had just he was pointing out uh, before this that he had just been listening to the Return of the Shadow class from the Mythgard Academy where we were talking about this scene. And he was noticing that um, Frodo's sword is gleaming red like the, the, you know, the red light like a firebrand from Frodo's sword is there. In the very first, in that very first uh, writing of this scene, and yet the whole provenance of the sword and the 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 concept of the old war between Angmar and Numenor is is and you know and and Arnor totally not even on the on the radar screen yet. Like that history doesn't exist in Tolkien's mind. 
So Tolkien's sword is glowing like a firebrand, essentially before Arnor is invented, right? Forget Angmar. Arnor isn't even invented uh, by the time uh, by the time Frodo's sword is already glowing red like a firebrand, right? So anyway, okay, he says, it's clear that many of Tolkien's themes and descriptions have remained in essentially the same state as when they were first written, but are recontextualized as the manuscript has undergone revisions. And that is very much Tolkien's... Um, uh, Tolkien's uh, procedure, his favorite MO. Um, he would rather not change his text. He would rather take that same text and put it in an entirely new context so now it means something completely different. This always kind of blows my mind. I just, I don't think I quite think that way. I would, my, if I were doing it myself, I'd have rewritten the passage, right? But no, Tolkien keeps as much of the passage as he can, but by taking that same, those same words, right, that same, those same sentences and putting it in a new context, he has this knack of completely transforming, like it all works perfectly in a totally new context, meaning something completely different now. Um, how he did it so well and so often, I don't know, but that's, that's definitely his method. Anyway, okay, going on. He says, however, I don't know how much weight we should be given to the context surrounding the passages in the early versions when trying to interpret the published text. For example, the description of Frodo's barrel blade while he's wearing the ring is that it flickered red as if it was a firebrand. We talked about the potential reasons for this, including the fact that the intention and will of the blade's maker went into the crafting of it, which sounds eerily similar to the crafting of the One Ring now that I think about it. Yes, exactly. Same kind of process. However, that description of the sword predates any notion of it being made during the war with Angmar. I assume we should simply accept Tolkien's retcons without overly weighing the history overly weighting the history surrounding the earlier context when such retcons are explicit. However, how should we handle the interpretation of passages that don't have an explicit retcon? Great, great question. Um, and the key word there, um, uh, the key word there, Evil Dr. Cannon, is explicit, right? Explicit retcon, because this is another tricky thing, right? Um, uh, this is a this is a Christopher Tolkienism, right? He 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 points this out uh, on many occasions during his commentary uh, on the history of Middle Earth, all of the different history of Middle Earth books, and that is just because something is not included in a later version, like if he cuts it from one version and do doesn't say that in the later version, that doesn't mean necessarily that he's rejected that idea, right? So, you know, sometimes he just, he, he, he's not referring to it. He takes out the reference to it in the text, but that doesn't mean that he's decided against the idea. It still, might still exist. He just doesn't say it explicitly now. Or it could represent an actual change of idea. But by, again, by itself, its absence in a later text doesn't prove that Tolkien actually changed his mind. And so, Evil Dr. Cannon, I would say that a, a kind of a corollary of that doctrine, right, applies in this kind of a situation, right? Just because Tolkien does not explicitly retcon uh, a, a, a passage doesn't mean that the retcon is inappropriate, right? So, uh... Okay, so the, um, the, oops, yeah, sorry, thanks, Amali. Um, the, uh, so, okay. The main thing that I would say here is it's easy to get too worried, too worked up, in a sense, about, um, the earlier context. Like it's super useful that the, the, the reading the earlier drafts and, and, and sort of seeing how the story uh, uh, came about is fascinating all by itself. Just 
to sort of see how it emerged and to learn more about Tolkien's process and to, to kind of get to know the story as it grows. It, uh, in my, I mean, it always gives me a much greater uh, respect uh, for the work that Tolkien did and a kind of an, a kind of amazement um, when you actually see it working. Um, C.J.K. Rowling, it's cooler when you have to go back and change things and the story doesn't end up in the place where you thought it was going to go, right? That's actually cooler than knowing in advance everything that's going to happen. I just, uh, I wish I'd been able to have that talk with her like 10 years ago, but whatever. Point is, it's pretty cool to see that stuff emerging with Tolkien. Now, how useful are all of those things uh, from an interpretive standpoint? How, How much can we, should we rely on them? Um, Because Evil Dr. Cannon is completely right. Um, And this is a really great example of the kind of retcon that he does. What was in his head the first time? Like when Frodo's sword glows red, you know, flickers red like a firebrand in the very first draft of the scene, which, as I said, was almost exactly the same as this. What did he mean? What was he thinking? Why on earth is Frodo's sword flaring red, right? We don't know. We have no idea. He doesn't explain that. And... I think I find it kind of hard to explain from the text. If I had to make a complete stab, right? If I had to make a stab based on that first text alone and what we've gotten from the thing before that, I would actually think it is a manifestation of um, uh, it's a manifestation of uh, of the power of the Witch King, right? So like Frodo is holding up his sword and. Uh, like the Witch King is like sort of opposing him. I think it's at, um, maybe it's a manifestation of Frodo's will, but I kind of doubt it. I think it might be the Witch King's power. I, I'm not really sure. Um, but um, but there's no reason to really think that that was like a magic sword at that point. He's he's uh, you know it's possible that it's just like happens to be for some reason as a, a yet undisclosed magic sword, but we get nothing from the text there to suggest that. Um. Anyway, um, uh, so, okay, the, um, uh, the, what was I saying? Oh, yeah, that's right. Okay, so, um, but of course, that same description, right, uh, that same, that same description uh, is, is um, utilized by Tolkien in the, this final draft, right, But it has a, a whole new meaning, right? He's given it an entirely new context. Um, so uh, I had a request to define retcon, which is really good. I want to use jargon and not uh, uh, and not explain it. Um, a retcon, it's... I sometimes get this wrong. Retroactive consistency, right, is what it's short for. Yeah, or re- retroactive continuity, right. Okay, continuity. That's, that's what I always get wrong. Um, retroactive continuity. So... What it means basically is when you're you're writing a story and you've changed the story and you have to go back and adjust things that you wrote retroactively in order to make them uh, uh, continuous with the story as it later emerges. Right? Tolkien was the king of retcon because his story changes in so many ways. Um, I mean, the the biggest, most classic um, uh, example of Tolkien's retcon is Chapter Five of The Hobbit. Right when he has to go back and say and make and retroactively make the interaction with Gollum make sense, because once the ring, once the ring becomes the ring of power, right, with all of its the abilities that it has, 
then there's no way that the story would end up the way it did in the original publication of The Hobbit, where he was perfectly willing and fully intending to just hand it over as a prize uh, when Bilbo won the Riddle game. Uh, that's not no longer possible. So he has to make some changes in order retroactively to make it continuous uh, with the story as it has gone on to be developed. Um, anyway, retcon is, in, is a useful <coughs> sort of verb. <coughs> it's interesting because, of course, neither word is a verb. Uh, and yet the the acronym from those two, not acronym, but the sort of shortening of those two words uh, is uh, is used as a verb. Yeah, yeah. Um, anyway, yeah. Um, yeah, okay. Hang on. Hang on just a second. I got to attend to something here. Hang on a second. Black. Okay. Sorry. Having some issues here. (laughs) Literally. (laughs) Okay. We're good. Um, Okay. So anyhow, uh, but again, back to evil Dr. Cannon's specific question. Um, how should we handle the interpretation of passages that don't have an explicit retcon? Do we go... So, when we don't have an explanation... So, again, we do get one for the firebrand, right? With the whole context of Angmar and everything else. We, uh... Um, we... We... We get an explanation. There are some passages that we don't. So, the question is, do we go... Is it, is it, is it best to go back to the earlier drafts, right? Is it best to go back to the Return of the Shadow stuff and say, okay, well, what do we know from it there and can we apply that forward? Personally, I think that's risky. I think it's risky because um, so many things change. I think that what we're best to do is to explain it from the context of the final story, not from the original. Sometimes the original can kind of give us clues because sometimes he spells some things out there which maybe not haven't changed, right? Maybe haven't changed, um, which we can then bring to and weigh in consideration with the published text. But to me, that second step is the more important one. Um, weighing the idea from the early text, does it fit? Does it still work within the context of the story as it develops into its final form? Um, and if it doesn't, then I leave it aside. I don't. I don't think that the earlier stuff can kind of uh, can kind of trump that later stuff. Uh, can, you know, say, well, you know, he doesn't say, he does say, he does give an explanation in the early stuff. He doesn't give an explanation in the later stuff. So even though the early explanation doesn't seem to fit in all ways, that's probably it. No, I, I wouldn't do that. If it doesn't fit, I, I would reject it, right? Better, I think, to speculate logically based on the story that we do get in the published text uh, rather than sort of force an early one forward. But anyway, um, yeah. Oh, yeah, and uh, uh, no worries, Brandon. I'm sure I'll be better by this weekend, right? I'm, t- I'm, I'm almost guaranteed to be non-contagious by the time I get to Kansas City this weekend, so no worries. I'm going to try not to bring my contagion to the uh, to the middle of the country there. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, cool. So let's see. Um, Let's see. So Matt says, I think we should consider another approach to Tolkien's approach. He may have written the scene and found himself writing that the sword flickered red, prompting him to ask himself, 
why it might glow red, and then go off to invent the story. That pattern would fit his language invention, which required him to find justifications for linguistic change. And indeed, Matt, we see many examples of that kind of thing, right? Um, where he, where something will come, I mean, of course, that's true of even the biggest things, like the Black Rider, you know, coming into the picture uh, in uh, the in the, the Three's Company chapter, right? And him being like, okay, who's the dude on the black horse and what on earth is he doing here? I have to figure, I have to figure that out right now. I don't have to discover the explanation for this. Um, I think it's very possible, very possible that he could not have, if you had pinned him down, right? And we're like, okay, hey, so, so, you know, tell us, level with us. Why was the sword glowing red? It may well be that his answer would be, I I really didn't know. It just, I was writing the scene and it seemed like his sword was glowing red. Um, and yes, the, the if indeed that was part of what, that is in fact the seed of the entire, like, Angmar story, right? Uh, if that's true, that that wouldn't surprise me a lick, right? We, we see that kind of thing happening a lot uh, with, uh, with Tolkien's, Tolkien's words. So, um, yeah, cool. Um, exactly, yeah. Wheel Rider, that's exactly it. Tolkien often said that he waited to find out what happened. I mean, it's, you know, I, and, and now I have to go find out is one of the, that was one of his methods, right? Um, yeah, definitely. Um, one last, um, uh, one last brief thought here. I wanted to respond. Lincoln, um, was talking about, uh, um, sort of it's, it's being cooler to, uh, to sort of see things, uh, to be kind of blindsided with things on the first reading. Totally. Um, I would never, ever, 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 ever suggest that anyone should like start reading the Lord of the Rings with the return of the shadow. Right. Um, I would only ever recommend the return of the shadow and the treason of Isengard and the war of the ring, that history of the Lord of the Rings series to people who not only have read the Lord of the Rings, but who know it pretty well. Um, once you know it, once you've had the full experience, not only of reading it for the first time, but of reading it and rereading it and rereading it, um, so that you've already had sort of many different layers of reaction to it, uh, and have a really close familiarity, uh, with the text. Then if you go and read the earlier stuff, it's really mind blowing and it really helps you if you can, cause I think it's really, I think it's super important to be able to kind of hold the published text in your head. You know, as you're going through and reading those earlier passages, that's where you really notice stuff. Um, if you don't have that, you're not going to, you're not going to notice all, a lot of what's going to, you're going to be really confused by a lot that, uh, that's going on. So I totally, um, I don't think that that, that, that element of sort of seeing how this story grew should be anything of a part of the early stages of anyone's relationship with the Lord of the Rings. Um, so, uh, yeah, yeah. Um, anyway, yeah, cool. Anyway, so I just wanted to clarify that. Okay. Hey, I've got an idea. Let's start chapter 12, right? Because we're reckless that way. Cause it's, it's only been like an hour into class. I think, uh, you know, now seems a good time to start our discussion. Okay. When Frodo came to himself, he was still clutching the ring desperately. He was lying by the fire, which was now piled high and burning brightly. His three companions were bending over him. What has happened? Where is the pale king? he asked wildly. They were too overjoyed to hear him speak to answer for a while, nor did they understand his question. At length he gathered from Sam that they had seen nothing but vague shadowy shapes coming towards them. 
Suddenly, to his horror, Sam found that his master had vanished, and at that moment a black shadow rushed past him, and he fell. He heard Frodo's voice, but it seemed to come from a great distance, or from under the earth, crying out strange words. They saw nothing more, until they stumbled over the body of Frodo, lying as if dead, face downwards on the grass with his sword beneath him. Strider ordered them to pick him up, and lay him near the fire, and then he disappeared. That was now a good while ago. Okay. Um, when Frodo came to himself, uh, that, by the way, is, of course, very close to the first line of another chapter, right? Uh, very close to the opening sentence of chapter 18 of The Hobbit, right? When Bilbo came to himself, he was literally by himself, right? Um, I, so... There is a similar, you know, so uh, Brandon, I agree that sense that like Frodo's been out of commission for a while. Now he's not been out of commission for as long as Bilbo was, though, of course, he's not been concussed. So that helps. Um, but um, anyway, OK, so Frodo comes to himself. He does seem to have blacked out. I mean, we know that he, you know, he knew no more. Right. Um, I don't think an enormous amount of time has hap- has passed, um, but. It does seem, uh, based on their reactions, they were too overjoyed to hear him speak to answer for a while, right? Um, And then the description that they stumbled over his body, right, lying as if dead. Um, Strider ordered them to pick him up and to lay him near the fire, and then he disappeared. So all that we know, um, all that we know has happened right, is, uh, that is since the flight of the Nazgul, uh, is that they found Frodo's body, uh, Aragorn tells them to bring it back to the fire, and they apparently have thrown more wood on the fire, right? Or, as Gandalf will say later in the book, uh, fling fuel on the fire, one of my favorite alliterative exclamations of Gandalf. Um, they have apparently flung fuel on the fire, uh, and it's now burning, uh, burning more brightly, uh, than before. But all that needn't take all that long, right? I mean, they were alarmed and they didn't know where Frodo was, but they, you know, they found his body wasn't far. He didn't go a great distance, right? So I can't imagine it took him a terrible long time to discover Frodo's body. Um, And then they moved him and then they, so the scene that we get, you know, with all three of them bending over him, um, it's possible that he's been unconscious for a couple hours, but I, I kind of doubt it. It kind of sounds like it's only been a few minutes, really, um, because they're still, like, urgently bending over him. You'd think if it had been a couple hours, they they would be, like, nervously sitting nearby or something like that, right? Um, it almost looks like they're still trying to, uh, to, to, to rouse him. We're told it was a good while ago that he left. I agree. But Eroheb, exactly, that's the Hobbit's perspective, right? Um, and they're scared and they don't know what's going on. Um, I would think if he's been gone even for like 10 minutes, that's would feel like a good while <laughs> to them under these circumstances, right? When like all the, they've just been attacked for all they know, they're about to be attacked again. And now Aragorn's vanished, right? Um, I'm sure they're going to feel every single second of their solitude uh, as a relatively uh, uh, long time. Right. So I don't think, uh, uh, I don't think that <laughs> I see Tom's speculation that uh the power of alliteration is one of the powers that the 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 ring Narya confers. I can't rule it out, Tom. I can't rule it out. Um, anyway, yeah. So, 
uh, I, 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 this, this still, this sounds to me, this sounds to me like it's, it's more like a few minutes than a few hours, but I mean, I could be wrong about that. Um, okay. So notice that the, you know, so here we get the closest thing that we get to Sam's perspective, right? We did get one brief interjection of Sam's point of view when Frodo was feeling the compulsion to put on the ring and Sam looked at him aware that there was something going on, right? Aware that his master was in some, you know, he could perceive that his master was in some danger, but there was nothing he could do, right? So we do have that one glimmer of something that was going on uh, in um, in Sam's mind, right? But that was all. Now we are told more, right? Um, and so by from Sam's point of view, by getting a little bit of Sam's point of view here, one of the things that we get is a little bit of context. Like, here's what it looked, you know, we got the description of what it looked like from Frodo's point of view while wearing the ring, right? What did it look like from everybody else's point of view? And the answer is not very much, right? Very, very little, um, uh, very, very little detail, right? Vague shadowy shapes, a shadow rushed past him, uh, and I fell down, right? And then I heard Frodo's voice, and and uh, then it was all of a sudden over, and we didn't know what happened, right? That's Sam's perspective. So, I mean, remember, this is not, um, this is not, and never was a combat, right? Nobody, as I keep saying, nobody had to roll initiative, in the Dell in under Weathertop, right? That's just, it is, that is not what happened here. Um, and so anyway, so Sam, um, makes it pretty clear. This happened very quickly. It wasn't even obvious what happened. And he certainly didn't see, of course, Frodo vanishes too. Um, almost everything that actually happened was invisible to them. Um, yeah, yeah. So, um, Yeah, Matt's wondering about the sort of um, uh, kind of blocking of this, right? Um, How is it that the shadow can rush past him if he was crouching by Frodo's side? Um, There are two explanations that I can think of. Ooh, that wasn't one of them, Matt. Matt says, unless, of course, the shadow is Frodo, which would be interesting. I don't think so, because I think he's looking at the shadows that are the Nazgul, right? When he's talking about the shadowy shapes, um, or rather when they are reporting vaguely, we don't get dialogue there, uh, the shadowy shapes. Um, that that it seems to be what they're focused on, right? So um, uh, I would say... That's probably the shadow that he's talking about. It'd be kind of interesting if it were Frodo, but I, I, I don't think so. Um, we don't know what Frodo does, right? Um, okay. You know what I need to start doing? I need to start keeping the text of the earlier passages somewhere on my slide so I can go and check them. Cause I often am like, Oh wait, I want to go back now and see what, what, what was actually in the text there earlier on. And I don't have it on the screen now anymore. Um, somebody can, yes, Frodo did recoil backwards. That's what I was thinking, Tim Delft. Um, when he's putting on the ring and I think, I think he does back up, 
um, so that he and Sam are no longer right next to each other. Um, so in other words, one of the things that we see as as Frodo is falling victim to the Witch King, to the Witch King's compulsion to put on the ring and to the fear that the Witch King is uh, is trying to, to paralyze him with, um, he's separated from Sam, right? He draws away from Sam. Um, and then... Uh, uh, and then he, uh, and so then, it, but Sam stays still. He can't see anybody now, right? Frodo, least of all, uh, and has no idea what's going on so that the Nazgul would go right past him. Notice now, <clears throat> now that Frodo has been cut off from Sam, one of the consequences, of course, of Sam's put, uh, Frodo's putting on the ring, um, now Sam is helpless. Sam can't do anything to help Frodo, uh, against the Nazgul. Um, so that, uh, that seems, that seems relatively clear. Tony, there were three wraiths that moved in, but only one of them attacked. Um, we talked about this last time. Two of them stay on the edge of the delve. Three of them advance. The two others stop when Frodo draws his sword on them. Um, and only the Witch King comes forward. Um, yeah, exactly. Arden Crayon. It's like forensically reconstructing the crime scene uh, based on the witnesses' statements. It's exactly what we're doing here, right? Uh, you know, I feel like we can make a little chalk drawing. I mean, I know Frodo's not a corpse, but you know, we make make a little chalk chalk drawing of where Frodo ended up here and everything. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, and yes, Zeph and I agree that this the separation from Sam, the significance of Frodo's backing away. Uh, from Sam is emphasized by the fact that they were designed to be spiritual support. They were standing back to back by Strider's uh, advice. Right. Um, And that's so I I agree. I do think that there is some significance of the actual physical distance that opens up uh, between him and Sam. Um, Yeah. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Erokeb, I think, I think he was, so uh, Erokeb is talking about, sort of speculating about plan A, essentially, of the Nazgul, right? He says, I'm more and more getting the impression that the ring race first plan was just to isolate Frodo, grab him, and void, <laughs> using the Sir Thomas Mallory verb. Uh, exactly. The stabbing was just a parting shot after Frodo's game-changing invocation of Elbereth. I, I, I'm not sure I agree with that. I think plan A was the stabbing. Um, I think they were, he, he was planning to stab him in the heart and thus, uh, like instantly wraithify him, right? So that then he would, they, they would be like, he has through the compulsion of his will, he's convinced him to put on the ring and thus drawn him into their wraith world. Right. Um, and then with this, with the knife, he's going to keep him there. Um, and where they can presumably control him and haul him off, uh, and bring him back to Mordor. And I don't think take the ring from him, but bring him uh, as Wraith Slave uh, uh, under the influence of the Morgul Blade uh, and dragging him back to Mordor. That's my... Because he's advancing with a knife in his hand uh, and the hand and the knife are glowing, right, and everything. Um, that seems to be plan A. Um, and I think he's attacking before... So he and Frodo leap to the attack at the same time, Frodo crying out as he goes, uh, and, and, and so Frodo stabbed. He was trying to stab before Frodo called out and swung at his legs, right? And, you know, dove forward and, you know, flung himself forward on the ground and swung at his legs as we talked about the delicious ambiguity of that movement, right? So he caused, Frodo caused the ringwraith to miss 
with his stab, but I think he was aiming this stab already. Um, so, uh, and Matt exactly is reminding us that the blade was also out in the hand at Crick Hollow when they thought that Frodo might be there too. Um, so that does seem to be like part of the plan, right? Um, that they're implementing both times. Um, yeah. Anyway, so, um, so I do think that this, but apart from that, Eric, I totally agree with you. I think that that, that isolation of Frodo is that's step one of plan a right step one uh you know to overcome the sort of spiritual resistance and which means separating frodo from the support you know from like the singing guy right the dangerous singing guy uh and uh from his companions and then make with the knife um yeah tony mead is thinking this is probably what happened to ar nor quite possible quite possible can't rule it out um yeah, yeah, good. Um, yeah, excellent. Okay. Uh, can somebody find text about Frodo recoiling? I have a vague memory of that too, but again, I don't have the text in front of me here on my slides anymore. Uh, could somebody find that? Could somebody give me any evidence that he backed off from Sam? I have. I, I seem to think that he did too, uh, but uh, help me remember. Um, okay, cool. Um, let's uh, keep going. No, wait. Let's talk about Strider vanishing. Um, I agree that. Um, Strider disappeared. Disappeared. Um, uh, uh, who was talking about that? Um, uh, yeah, Milthaliel. Um, disappeared is a really awesome word there, right? Um, especially in this context. We've just had Frodo literally vanishing, right? We've had shadowy shapes and everything, and now Strider just like vanishes into the night. Now, he's he's not disappeared in a you know, ring wraithy kind of way, right? But you can understand uh, the the hobbits being rattled, right? And Sam was always the least trusting of the hobbits, uh, even back uh, even back in the Prancing Pony, right? Um, so yeah. No, there's no mention. Darn it! I was sure I remembered that. No, okay, it's not there. Well, there goes that beautiful theory. <laughs> I was sure I remembered that. No? Okay. Well... Right, Sam shrank to Frodo's side, but that's still early. Hmm. Yeah, no, I mean, of course, I remember the throwing him, his throwing himself forward on the ground. See here, I'm just where I'm trying to reconstruct this whole thing from Sam's point of view.
Frodo, the last reference we get to Sam in chapter 11 is when he's looking at Frodo in concern, knowing that his master is in some danger, right? Uh, we don't know anything about Sam's movements. He found that his master had vanished, and at that moment, a black shadow rushed past him and he fell. Wait a second. Wait a second. Okay, hang on a second. I think I figured it out. I think. Uh, okay, I think I figured it out. No, I didn't. <laughs> okay, darn it. I had it briefly, had a theory, and then I realized it doesn't make any sense. Yeah, because he falls before he hears Frodo's voice. My, 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 my thought. My brief thought there, which in the end doesn't hold up, is that the shadow that rushes past him is the shadow, like the shadow leaving right after he calls out Elberith uh, Gilthonio, but it's before uh, he hears Frodo's voice, so it can't be. Um, mm. Yeah, I mean, the black shadow that moves clearly is the Witch King, no question. It's the Witch King. And we do get it sprang forward and bore down on Frodo. So it's in motion. The Witch King is in motion. Even though Frodo is coming forward, we know it is in motion too. And it's springing forward. That that would happen to Sam's perspective almost as soon as Frodo puts on his ring makes sense. Um, Again, that moment is really dilated in Frodo's experience, but it would not be dilated in Sam's experience. It would be this moment of panic. All of a sudden his master's gone. What's going on? Shadow plunging in, right? Master invisible, but I can hear him as his voice coming from far away. Um, Yeah. The only thing I can think is that Sam has not remained still. Uh, Yeah. I don't know. I mean, of course, it is always possible, as I think it was Cecilia was pointing out. It's possible that, uh, uh, of course, it's possible that, that Tolkien just messed up here. Um, he does make mistakes. This would be an unusual kind of mistake, though. Um,. And Tom, I agree that Frodo does not step back, does seem pretty remarkable. And in line with what we were looking at last time, that moment when he draws his sword, which seems to be a spiritually significant moment, right? Um, uh, A spiritually significant moment um, of resolution on his part, a a spiritual counterattack, as it were, as we talked about last time. So I agree that that fits, and I think that's important. Um, Yeah. We need miniatures to play it out. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Well, um, Fourth Dauntless, I don't think we have any evidence that any other wraith moves other than the Witch King. Um, The other two stopped when Frodo drew his sword. I think that the Witch King is the only wraith in motion at this critical moment. Um, So if there is a shadow who does any rushing of any kind, it's the Witch King. Uh, That, I think, is, is, is pretty clear. Um, uh, 
Yeah. Um, Eric Hebb says if the wraiths are approaching from Frodo's side, not directly in front of him, Sam would be between them at Frodo's side. After all, why would Aragorn put Frodo at the front? Yeah. Yeah. And JJ, I, I agree. I think that that principle could be applied here when in doubt, assume Sam's awesomeness. Um, so assuming that Sam in the moment that his master vanishes, um, if Sam moves, he's going to move towards the enemy, right? To attempt to interpose himself, uh, between, uh, remember this is Mr. You know, black Rider's going to have to ride over me, Sam Gamgee, right? Um, so the idea that Sam would move towards them, I mean, if anyone, if anyone's moving, we know Frodo's not moving. We got detailed descriptions and I, then there it is. Um, yeah. Uh, and, but Tackovic Aragorn did put them in a circle around the fire facing up, but he also told them to stand back to back. Right. Um, so I guess it sort of depends on, how we physically interpret the description of Sam crouching at Frodo's side. If we're imagining Sam like behind Frodo or like just down at Frodo's side, like, you know, by his elbow or something like that, then it doesn't make any sense uh, because Frodo is lunging forward and the Witch King is lunging forward. Um, if crouching back to his side is, you know, so imagine, so here, here's what I'm imagining. Um, Frodo and Sam are standing back to back. Clearly Sam is the one who is standing back to back with Frodo, right? And Merry and Pippin are standing back to back. We're not told that explicitly, but I'm, I'm absolutely working on, on that premise, right? Um, uh, so, okay. So he, um, if Sam is closer to the Witch King to start, Right, the Witch King comes up on that side and Sam is already between him, crouching back to... Um, cr Merry and Pippin fall over fairly, fairly early on. Um, it does sound as if Frodo is furthest away from him. Merry and Pippin fall over. Sam crouches back to his side. But if he's already in front of them, right? If he's already in front of Frodo, then... Crouching back to his side could simply... Again, it doesn't necessarily mean he has to, like, get behind him. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, Sam shrank to Frodo's side. That's it. That's that's what we get. Sam shrank to Frodo's side. Um, yeah. 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 No, you're right. You're right. Yes, they have their backs to the fire with their faces outward and they're next to each other. Right. Uh, shoulder to shoulder. But again where okay, this is where we need miniatures right this is where we need miniatures um <laughs> where does the witch king come in we know that the 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 ring wraith come in like a wedge right witch king in front the four others behind him right where on the circle around the fire do they come in who's who is at point there right maybe it's frodo um, maybe it's Frodo, but I don't know. I don't know. Somebody needs to figure this out. Some, some, 
Somebody should draw us a diagram. Somebody draw us a diagram. Uh, maybe a maybe a little stop action film with Lego characters so that we can figure this out. Um, uh, I. Uh, um, yeah, Mad Violinist, that's the best I got, too. Uh, if Sam is facing the initial attack vector, even if he shrinks back towards Frodo's side, uh, the Witch Lord would have... The, the Witch King would have to would have to go past him to get to Frodo. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. Yeah, no, Tim Dolph, they do slowly advance first, but the two of them stop when Frodo draws his sword. The two others stop when, when he draws his sword. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I, Tony, I agree. Yeah. Uh, a, a, a YouTube video, uh, with you and your friends will do as long as you're clearly labeled. Right. Or Tom, I agree. Like a, like a football play with X's and O's that would also work. Right. Little moving arrows and shapes. Right. Let's sort this out people. We can, we can solve this problem. I'm sure of it. <laughs> um, yeah. So, okay. We'll, uh, um, We'll figure this out. I, but seriously, I, I would like to see this. Somebody, somebody block it out for me. Some, somebody map this. Uh, use miniatures. Use X's and O's. Uh, use your friends and neighbors. Uh, but somebody, somebody make a video of how this would have gone uh, that makes some sense of this. I think, yeah, Brandon, we could reenact this at Middle Moot. Absolutely. Absolutely. We'll definitely have the people. Um uh, that that's a great idea, and then we'll have somebody else film it. We'll see if we can do that. <laughs> Annotated combat diagrams. I agree. I agree. Um, yeah. Okay. Cool. So we'll, we'll sort we'll sort this. Let's get back to the text. Whew. Oh man, all this for you know uh, uh, what three words rushed past him, right? Um, yeah, there was a second knife, knife wraith on the grassy knoll, says Hardened Crayon. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, okay, all right. <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll do it. We'll sort it out. Um, okay. Uh, was there something else? Oh, yeah, so Strider vanishing. Um, Strider vanishing. It's, uh, you know, Strider has gained the confidence of almost everybody, including Frodo. But also, note, keep in mind, one of the things that we've been noticing... Strider doesn't say much, right? Um, and you've got to think that uh, Frodo and pa, you know, it, there, there might be others uh, besides Frodo who are sufficiently of the other three who are sufficiently quick on the uptake to notice that Strider has not been telling them everything. Um, he noticed the flame on the hilltop. He obviously guessed what that meant and didn't say anything about that, right? He's been playing things really close to the vest, in part, I think, because he doesn't want to worry. You know, he's trying to manage the courage of the hobbits, right, and not overwhelm them or freak them out. Um, he also doesn't want to say too much before he's... Uh, uh, before he confirms things, right? He wants to figure out what happened on Weathertop before he before he speculates about it. It's clear that Aragorn does not really consider Frodo and the Hobbit's colleagues, right? Um, uh, he might like discuss with Gandalf. Uh, had Gandalf been there, he probably would have said like, "Hey, what do you think?" I mean, of course, of course, it wouldn't have happened if Gandalf had been there. But you see what I mean, right? If somebody like Gandalf had been there, he would have probably discussed the flame on the hilltop with them. Right, uh, as equals, as colleagues, and try to figure it out together. He doesn't do that with the hobbits because he does not uh, seem to regard the hobbits as colleagues, which is 
seems perfectly legit, right? Um, perfectly, I, I, perfectly sensible. These are these are noobs, right? These hobbits are not. They're what? What are they going to be able to contribute to this discussion? And in any case, it's his job to shield them and to protect them, not to draw on them as a resource, right? Um, exactly. He is their guide, not their friend, right? And certainly not exactly their peer. He's, they are more like his charges. Yes, exactly. Um, uh, there's even an almost, I wouldn't go so far as a kind of parental relationship, but it's closer to that than to peers, I think. Um, yeah. And Brandon, that's exactly what I was thinking of. We do see Aragorn and Gandalf interacting with each other on a different level, even than they do the rest of the members of the Fellowship of the Ring, uh, when we get there and the ring goes south. Absolutely. Um, uh, yeah. Now, Fourth Dauntless says, still, if you've got some panicky travelers in your charge, it's probably a good idea to explain where you're going before you disappear in the middle of the night, especially when they know there are hideously deadly enemies right in immediately in the vicinity, right? Totally agree, Fourth Dauntless. I think that, that Aragorn is uh, slipping. Here, I, I I think it was not wise of Aragorn uh, to uh, uh, have jumped and run off without even mentioning where he was going. And I'd tell him that to his face. Right. In fact, hey, I wonder, could that even be evidence that Aragorn himself is not uh, perhaps in the clearest frame of mind at this particular? I'm not saying that he's not leaving under his own power or, or anything. But again, like, you know, uh, did he cover all his bases? No, I don't think he covered all his bases. Um yeah. <laughs> as Boomful says, hey, mister, put on the ring in the public room, in the public room. What do you think? Yeah, exactly. Right. The, he is. Uh, uh, the hobbits have a long ways to go to earn enough respect from him for him to treat them as equal colleagues. Is this another one of Aragorn's classic ill choices? No, I don't think it is. This is an oversight, not like a I have to choose and am I going to choose the right way or not? But um, um, but yeah, I mean, I think that he's. Uh, 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 his actions are sort of imperfect here, which is, you know, I mean, come on, right? Whose would be under the circumstances? Um, but, uh, and even of course, it's, it's fairly remarkable that he gives chase. Remember the respect that he showed to Mary when he was, when, you know, Mary is like, so I followed him and he's like, dude, seriously? Um, uh, and he, and he compliments him. He says, you have a stout heart, right? But it was foolish. Um, well, obviously, the stoutness of his heart is kind of on another level here, right? While everyone else, while Frodo's unconscious and everybody else is freaking out, you know, he's like, I'm going to go track them and find out where they are, right? He's going he's gonna to go off into the darkness one on five uh, in order to, like, follow them, chase them. I'm not 100% sure exactly what his plan is, uh, but... Uh, but he's going to he's going to be out there doing it not just sitting back around the fire singing another song or something like that um yeah he's just going to give give chase with his pointed sticks that's exactly it um yeah so um <laughs> yeah exactly aslan's compass says uh um for the moment Aragorn is more like what I'd do alone than, oh, right, escort mission. Yeah, exactly. Leaving your charges behind, possibly not the best thing for him to do here. Um, but, um, but yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> Erekeb is imagining Aragorn charging the wraiths and screaming like Han Solo. Uh, not the screaming, but apart from that, this is almost, almost the equivalent. Yeah, something like that. Um, 
Yeah, yeah. It's true, Tom. You can't rule out the fact that he might have had an apple in his pocket. So you can't say that Aragorn is totally unarmed, right? Maybe Sam shared. That's quite possible. Um, yeah, yeah. No, Milthalio, I agree. It is easy to think of Aragorn as being, like, totally unfazed by what's going on. Uh, but, yeah, I'm sure that he is rattled. Absolutely. Um, that makes a lot of sense to me. Okay. Hey, let's do, let's do a second slide. Why not? Sam was plainly beginning to have doubts again about Strider, but while they were talking, he returned, appearing suddenly out of the shadows. They started, and Sam drew his sword and stood over Frodo, but Strider knelt down swiftly at his side. "'I am not a black rider, Sam,' he said gently, "'nor in league with them. I have been trying to discover something of their movements, but I have found nothing. I cannot think why they have gone and do not attack again, but there is no feeling of their presence anywhere at hand.'" Okay. Um, <laughs> Tony, I, I knew you had wished a second Tom's point about chasing them without a sword. I was talking about you. I don't know if you've caught up from the classes that you missed or not, but I was talking about you, like the class before last or something, when we were talking about firebrands in their hands and not having weapons and whether or not maybe he could use the shards of Andoral or something. We had a, a brief little... But anyway, yeah, no, Tony, I was remembering your strong objection to Strider going about with no primary weapon. But anyway, Crownless, you're absolutely right. And Aragorn doesn't think the fight's over, right? Um, he, uh, when he's going off, he's not pursuing. Um, he's trying to see if they're going to be coming back. He's they they fled. He can see that they fled, right? They ran off. Are they leaving or are they just retreating? And are they going to come back? That's what he goes to discover, apparently, right? And Zephan, very good. Um, Zephan says, good on you, Sam, for drawing your sword when you think a Nazgul has returned. Another stout heart. Yes. Here he is very emphatically putting himself between Frodo and danger. Um, the very fact that he, uh, uh, the, the very fact that he draws his sword, right, on who he might think is a, a, a Black Rider, right? All of a sudden this spectral figure appears out of the shadows, right? And Sam's uh, instinct is to draw his sword and stand over his master um, rather than to uh, than to run away. And yes, Tom, exactly. Aragorn does know which conclusion Sam is going to jump straight to, right? Um, he doesn't need, Sam doesn't have to say anything, right? Um, and notice that Strider doesn't... Um, one of the things that's most interesting to me about Strider here, he doesn't act. He doesn't react to Sam's drawing his sword. Right, he doesn't like put his hands up, right? But like move slowly in, like it's okay, Sam. I'm not. Don't hit me. He just ignores Sam and he kneels down, um, which I think is is important. Actually, it's not only brave of him, but I think it's one of the most reassuring things that he could do. Right? Like I know like, he basically gives himself up to Sam. If Sam wanted to stab him, he could have, right? And I think that that is is a kind of a disarming move by Strider here. What he does is like. I'm just. I'm not going to let you and your naked sword keep me from kneeling down and and giving some medical attention to Frodo, right? If you want to stab me, you can go ahead, right? That 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 seems to be what what Strider's body language says, and that seems to win over Sam. I'm not saying completely, right? But you can tell on on account of how Sam doesn't stab him, right? That uh, uh, that it seems to it seems to work there. Um, yeah. No, I I agree that. Uh, 
Eric Hebb says, I got the impression that Sam did know it was Strider and drew his sword for that reason. Yeah, no, I think he draws his sword knowing that it's Strider. But again, they all start, right? They started and Sam drew his sword, right? Um, that's clearly an impulsive move that he makes as soon as anybody appears on the edge of the Dell. But I agree that the motion, completing the motion of drawing the sword, and then especially of standing over Frodo, is doubtless completed after he has processed that it's Strider who comes back. Totally agree with that. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, exactly. Um, so Strider's body posture even before his gentle words helps to reassure Sam, right, that he is not meaning any harm to Frodo. Um, I am not a black rider, nor in league with them. I have been and then he explains, where did I go? Right? Why did I leave just then? Um uh I cannot think why they have gone and do not attack again, but there is no feeling of their presence anywhere at hand. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, it's true, Brandon. There is a little bit of an ambiguity about the pronoun. Sam knelt down swiftly at his side. I think it's Frodo is the antecedent of the his there. It could be Sam, of course, theoretically. Um but I, I think it's I think it's I think it's Frodo, and I, I think it's because he's in the process of examining Frodo here, um, checking on Frodo, and it's interesting that he, Strider, that wasn't his first impulse, right? His first impulse is to see where the ring rates have gone because he wants to know are they going to attack again. Um, that's his impulse number one. His impulse number two is medical attention for Frodo. Right. Let's try to free, treat Frodo to diagnose Frodo's condition and treat his wound if he's wounded. Um, but, uh, anyway, yeah, so, um, that's, that's interesting to me. And again, I think it shows you how firmly Aragorn assumed, uh, as you guys were saying that the attack isn't over, right? Um, he is surprised that they've gone. And I think that that's an important thing here, right? Um, it's not obvious that they're done. It's not obvious that this thing is over. Um, he, Strider, certainly doesn't think so. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, well, Eric Hebb it thinks it's kind of amazing Strider's found no sign of the riders. Um, I have, I've trying to discover something of their movements, but I have found nothing. Um, Eric Hebb thinks that's kind of amazing. Well, on the one hand, I think we have some evidence. Um, yeah, it, it is still very dark, Catriona, exactly. We have some evidence that, uh, there are things that he's gonna, um, that he's gonna miss, right? Because it's dark. Um, we know, like, big things, um, that he's going to miss because it's still dark out. So that he wouldn't be able to track them by footprint in the dark is not surprising. What it seems, um, well, the moon is out, yes, but still, um, still, I don't know. Um, What seems clear, though, we don't know... um, uh, we don't exactly evil Dr. Cannon. He's going to find like 
physical relics later that he overlooked in the dark, right? Um, similarly, um, notice it doesn't say anything about tracking, right? He says he's going to discover something of their movements. I'm not even convinced that he was looking for boot prints, which may just have been overly difficult in the dark. Notice what he says. I've tried, been trying to discover something of their movements, but I have found nothing. Well, how are you trying, Aragorn? Could you explain that? I cannot think why they have gone and do not attack again, but there is no feeling of their presence anywhere at hand. That seems to be the mechanism that he was using, right? He wasn't looking for footprints. Because, again, when we're talking about Nazgul, it's one thing to track Nazgul after they've gone, right? But to like, if you're trying to tell whether one's there, um, you don't. You don't track their... Exactly. You sniff. <laughs> you, sni- you sniff, Jen. That's exactly what you do. Um, metaphorically, right? Um, he doesn't need to find their footprints. If they're, the, if they're close enough to be gathering for a second attack, they'll be there, right? He'll be able to f- sense their presence. Um, and that's when he comes back and reports. No feeling of their presence anywhere at hand, right? Um, so, um, yeah, no waves of terror. Exactly. Aslan's compass. He's uh, he's he's uh, searching by by dread effect, right? Um, it's exactly it's exactly like that. Um, he's wandering around, seeing if he felt anything, and that sounds kind of weird, right? When you when you sort of say it like that, but um, but yeah, that's that's mighty have been looking for tracks. Crownless mighty have put his ear to the ground to listen for horses. These are things that we know Aragorn does do in general, but all he refers to here is the feeling of their presence. And that seems to me, again, when you're talking about the immediate proximity of ring rates, by far the best measure, right? If they're close enough to attack again, you'll know, right? So all he has to do is just do like a few, you know, like a spiraling circuit away, you know, around the dell to see, like, are they here? Are they, are they nearby? No, they're gone. They left. Because that seems to be the question that he was trying to ascertain. Not where do they go, exactly, but to, to, when he says discover something of their movements, it's not, can I find and track, you know, their course, but rather, um, can I ascertain whether or not they are here, right? And, uh, uh, and can... Uh, um, whether or not they are here and, uh, uh, and are still, um, ready to attack. Yeah. Exactly. It's like black breath radar. Yeah. Yeah. Something like that. Um, you know, I don't think he needs a, he, he, he doesn't need an instrument, right. To measure that kind of, you know, like a kind of a black breath Geiger counter or something like that. Um, he doesn't really need that. Yeah. Um, but that does seem to be what he's doing. And as I said, that seems to make a lot of, sense it really does um yeah yeah um <laughs> no see Brandon, he didn't roll uh <laughs> he, he didn't roll low on his perception check there was nothing to perceive it was one of those lovely moments where like uh you know the dm just told him that he doesn't notice anything and he has to figure out whether that means he rolled low or not right anyway okay um all right um Instead of moving on to the next slide, I'm going to stop here and I'm going to do my drawing because the drawing is a little bit involved. So what I'm going to do is I've got, uh, is everybody who's in Discord on Twitch, right? If you're not, get there. 
uh, <laughs> open up twitch.tv slash signumu uh, right now. Uh, and then uh, I, and I figure most of you are on both uh, so that you can see the slides, right? Um, uh, but um, anyway, okay. So I'll, I'll try to... I'll try to do my my drawing here. Okay. All right. So let's do the drawing. Uh, and I'm going to... Because I've got also people in other places. i got folks on Twitter. Uh, and I've got uh, folks in our uh, other interface. Uh, our... Uh, our uh, hangout interface, uh, the, uh, the Tauen, uh, which is, uh, accessible for the vision impaired. So we've got, uh, lots of things here. Um, okay. All right. Okay. So we're doing a drawing just to refresh people's memory. We're doing two drawings here. Actually, let me, let me, let me do that first. Let me see here. Oh, yeah, no, that's not what I want. Need that over here. Okay. Okay. Oh, awesome. We've got 99 people here tonight. Man, I'm going to need more than my percentile dice. Um, <laughs> okay. No problem. Um, all right. So as I said, I'm going to do two drawings, one of which is going to be a drawing from among people who have donated tonight, uh, and one of uh, which is going to be among everybody who's attending. And the prize is going to be you can have your choice between either one of our free books with a custom signed book plate that we'll give to you. Um, so you can choose one of these five books with a custom book plate, or you can choose a pair of free tickets to the regional moot of your choice. If we are coming to somewhere near you and there are reasonably good odds that we're coming somewhere near you uh, sometime in the next year, uh, I will give you free, and uh, uh, you, uh, as long as you can, you can show up. Uh, we'll let you in for free for the day and your free lunch, and bring a friend. Uh, so we'll get two free tickets uh, to the regional moot. So, okay, uh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna do. Oh dear. Okay, sorry. Needing to do a thing here. I'm processing. Okay, it's October now, which I'm totally not forgetting that it's October. Okay, awesome. Awesome. Okay, wonderful. Thank you guys for your generous donations. Let me, uh, let me, so let me start with this one. Okay. Okay. All right. And the first, the winner of our first drawing is James Kelly. James Kelly, you have won our first drawing. So uh, just send a, just send a, an email to donate at signumu.org. And uh, we will, and you can let us know if you would like the book. If so, which book? Uh, or if you would like to tell us where you live, and we'll tell you when our plans are the nearest regional moot uh, that's coming to you. Uh, and uh, we will, uh, we will, we will let you know. Okay. So that's the first one. Okay. Now, now the second one. All right. Hang on a second here. Let's see. Where was that? 
Okay, how many folks do we have on Twitch? My goodness, lots! Okay, 112 people on right now. Goodness, that is a lot. Okay, so this means... I'm going to have to get cunning with my dice rolling here. All right. Rolling three dice here. Okay. So. Okay. Okay. Yeah, so Tarlonio, uh, I, I rolled percentile dice and a d4, right? With the d4 taking the d4 as uh, either you know, one or two equals a zero and three or four equals a one so that I can roll between zero and 200, essentially, uh, is, how I, is how, I was, how I was managing my, my dice there. Uh, no, no, I'm not adding them. I'm not adding them together. See, yeah, two, two, yeah, two to 112 would not have, uh, would not have worked exactly because then we missed number one, exactly. All right, so no, okay, but I got it. I got it here, and I think we have a number which fits within our our range here. So now is where I uh, now is where I count. <laughs> so give me a minute here. This is counting face, Dime. It's a little different from math face. I'm not doing math in my head, uh, but uh, uh, but yeah, okay. <laughs> Tacklevic can detect. I'm an experienced gamer. Yeah, yeah. I I've been uh, I've been DMing and wrangling dice rolls for for many a year. Uh, <laughs> that is not new. Okay, uh, see. One, two, no, I'm not counting Mubot. Uh, Mubot, I'm sorry, you can't win. Okay. So tense, isn't it? Okay, and the winner is Singing Fox. Singing Fox, who has an awesome screen name. Singing Fox 1, you are the winner. Uh, so congratulations to Singing Fox. Again, send an email to donate at signumu.org uh, and let us know uh, either if you want a book or tell us where you live and we'll, we'll see if we can set you up with regional moot tickets. Uh, it'd be uh, uh, great to get a chance to meet you at one of our regional moots. Um, awesome. So congratulations to our two winners. Uh, and uh, uh, thanks for... Uh, th thanks for that. Thanks for joining me as always. Thanks for uh, making this such an uh, an awesome, fun learning experience for me too. Um, so um, let's see, how much would someone need to donate to get a D and D session for all of us with Corey DMing? Well, you know, we've had a bunch of conversations of different like tabletop role playing stuff that we would kind of like to do on the Signum Twitch channel. Uh, cause I kind of love D and D and I kind of love roll 22, which would work really well on Twitch. I know. And, uh, there's a lot of possibilities, you know, that we would like to do. Um, the problem is I just have no time at all. No time at all. Uh, so, but yeah, Dime's right. Absolutely. If a bunch of people wanted to get together and make a major contribution, we we could do it. We'd set it up. I think we could we could we could totally do that. Um, 
<laughs> Blue Wizard thinks it'd be less than what we would need for a Shadows of War marathon, which was one of the things someone was asking about during my Lotro marathon last time. How much would you need to donate to get me to do a marathon playing of the Shadows of War? I'm not going to pretend. I think that'd be kind of funny, actually, uh, for me to do running commentary on the Shadows of War as I tried to play my way through it. Um, yeah, Fourth Dollars, I don't think a party of 112 would really work. Um, I, uh, I mean, I have developed some homebrew mass combat rules, but I don't think they would really apply under these kinds of circumstances. Um, <laughs> anyway, thanks everybody for joining me. So, I'm going to, it's uh, field trip time. Thanks to everybody who's joined us on Twitter. I'm going to say good night to the Twitter folks. You guys have been great. Thank you for sticking with me and uh, uh, making some great uh, comments and contributions during class here as well. Uh, so, uh, uh, so thanks very much for that. And um, we're going to, we're going to, we're going to switch over. So uh, thanks very much, everybody. Bye. Well, I say bye to Twitter folks. Of course, I'm not going anywhere everybody else okay good evening good evening laura here i'm honest kofi how's okay. everybody doing right. oh wait they can't <laughs> answer oh. <laughs> okay very good and i'm gonna i'm gonna uh heroically blow my nose again here for a second hang on a minute <laughs> That's okay. I'm sure even hobbits have to play. You'd be like Bilbo on his birthday. Thank you very much. Yeah, I'm not quite at thank you very much stages, mercifully. Uh, like my, <laughs> my son who... Uh, of course, this is one of those situations as well where I know exactly which of my children gave me this disease because the other one and I came down with it at exactly the same time. So it's clear whose fault it was. Um, oh, yeah. But uh, anyway, uh, he is much more... Uh, congested than i am so i'd be sounding i would be very much uh you know he he sounds full thank you very much so oh uh, yeah hope he anyway. feels better soon yeah yeah he's he's uh he's toughing it out he's good he hasn't mm. even missed any school uh my, my wife is pretty merciless when it comes to sick days from school she's like can you walk get yourself into school uh <laughs> so uh Anyway. Yeah, I make, it, I make it miserable for my kids. It's basically in bed, no TV, no nothing. If you're going to get better, you're not going <laughs> exactly, to right. If you're having fun, you're not getting better. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. All right. So we're going to head back to the Harlow Egg because we didn't get much of a chance to explore last time. Uh, yeah, so I, yeah. I, I hope you guys were able to see my really fun discovery, which is uh, <laughs> that I am now thoroughly – we have confirmed – um, mm -hmm. based upon visual evidence that the ruins in the Harloweg are from Cardolan, not from Arthodyne mm -hmm. or from Rudaur, which is yep. like a, an archaeological bombshell, right? You know, uh, uh, Narnian is going to like publish this in the archaeological journeys, uh, journals of journal of Eriador, um, because that's like huge, but, um, Anyway. Elrond will need to know of this. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So, okay. So let's head out. Last time I wanted to go through Bree so that we could see the evidence of uh, what a uh, Cardolan tomb looked like before we headed to the Harlowig. But this time we can we can head straight there. So let's just go mm -hmm. and... Uh, Myth confirmed. Yeah, go straight to the Stable Master and head to Oscaruth, I would think. Mm-hmm. All right. 
hamster still running. There we go. Okay. So I don't really know which way is faster to the south gate of Bree, whether going you know, up this way and around past the Prancing Pony is faster, or whether it's faster to cross the bridge through town and go the other way. But I frankly find, especially when I'm in Bree and it's laggy, I find it simpler to go this way. <laughs> I kept, last time when I tried to go the other way, I kept like almost falling off of bridges. and Yeah, although falling off the bridge is a shortcut, actually. But... Well, that's kind of true. But... I think we're in luck. I don't see any bands playing. Okay. Yes, that, that does not help with the lag. It's yeah, that's always the big one. It's like, oh man, there's three bands playing by the Frantic Pony. <laughs> we'll never make it, man. Everybody get your names turned off. <laughs> yeah. All right. So we will go. If anybody needs... I don't know if... Wah! So I hate that when you just lag and it's not just lagging, but like all of a sudden my horse pivoted itself in a 90, like 90 degrees when I wasn't even turning. I, it's just bizarre. Are you, you want a war steed or a regular? No, regular. Oh, that's usually war steed antics right there. Yeah, that was weird. It was completely disorienting. Still better than, still better than buying a ride in Moria. What can I do for you? I right. mean, that's, it's like, you know, if you got a stuffed up head, do not watch a goat ride in Moria oh, because man, I can't ride it at all. I, 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 I can't watch it. I just can't. It, it's, uh, I, 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 I think have... they get the, they get the goats drunk. I think I, there's no other explanation. Yeah. <laughs> I, I have pets. really gotten motion sick from that. I mean, like there was one night I remember when I just had to stop playing the game and lie down because yep. I had, I was yep. doing so much goat riding that night and like I was getting, I mean, I, I have a terrible, like I, I get motion sickness, pretty badly um i can yeah. barely watch my kids play xbox on the tv because oh no like, anything first person i'm yes, no first way. person stuff um absolutely oh. back in my wolfenstein days <laughs> right. i learned very quickly i couldn't play those games what do you want yes exactly no i i i, I can only watch my kids playing like star wars battlefront for like you know, three minutes before I oh yeah 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 have to go lie down. <laughs> so no, I'm pretty bad with that stuff. But, but you uh, know, Moria goat full blown migraine. Oh man, Moria goat. Yeah, that I had was to go bad. lie down. That was bad. Oh, let me turn off my super speedy horse so I keep up. All right. Okay. All right. Have Carlock. we have we kept more or less most everybody? I don't know if we had any really low level p persons. Here tonight. Uh, I think we're good. I don't see anyone else arriving. I didn't take a head count. So. Can I say, so, uh, uh, Chegra, that little pony with the antlers and thing, I've seen that full version many times. I don't, I've never seen the Hobbit pony that's, version. That's what I have right now. Yeah, no, it's cute on a little It's completely horse. adorable. Especially it's, with the big booties, the big, yes, you know, yes. draft pony booties. Yeah, that is, that is that is utterly adorable in pony scale. Okay, sorry. So <laughs> I just just had to point that out. That's just completely precious. Um, yeah, so uh, no, we're not on Landreval. We are on Crick, Crick Hollow tonight. We are on Crick Hollow yes. tonight. Um, yes. Okay, so we're going to head down to the Harlowagen tonight. We're going to have a look about. See All what right. we can see from the 
from the uh, archaeological yeah, point the, of view. The primary ruins. And then, especially if we don't have any lobies with us here tonight, I um, mm-hmm. want to head over into the troll area, too. <laughs> oh, I have many fond memories of that troll area. <laughs> yeah, me too. Me too. Oh, that's right. You were there for that big slaughter fest, wasn't it? Yeah. The calling. <laughs> that's crazy. Yeah. Um yeah, no, I, 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 I really liked the troll area. Um, I, uh, oh, wait, hang on. I'm turning. Uh, the yeah, on. we missed. Sorry. Yeah, 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 yeah. I always do that too. I was, I was, I was watching the wrong island there. Um, yeah. Okay. So seen from here, it's a nice sunny day, unlike before. So we can see oh, the yeah. ruins right before the trees start resolving themselves. Um, we've got some parts over there to the right and then some parts down to the center. I'm going to start off on the right and kind of sweep around and see. So if this is a cartil... Uh, what did we decide the adjective was? Cartilingian? Cartilingian. Yes, yes. <laughs> sort of as a joke. Okay, so if this is a yes. cartilingian outpost, it needs to be relatively self-sustaining, right? You have to think that this would be one of the places maybe that they would have been driven to before they... You know, this, so they would have been driven out from here before they took their final refuge uh, in the Barrow Downs. Okay, hang on. Let's see if we can approach over here. We're thinking terrain-wise, anything's changed? Do you think the water was here before? Or well, came I don't later? know. I'm kind of thinking it can't have been, because if we, we see from up here, most of those ruins down there are all now set in completely in water. And it's one thing to take advantage of the water as a defensive issue but you're not gonna i mean this is gonna be like venice but you know a fortification like i, I can't you know they they weren't like rowing gondolas from one room to another within their fortress no. i can't imagine yeah so. it, it doesn't look like nice water either, health and safety wise <laughs> yeah not exactly to build this i have to think uh i have to think that um there is there was a rise of the water which means like was there any water down here before it's the whole well, let's, swamp let's thing. see I don't really know. Uh, Maybe any water would have come from the river, the the last bridge in the uh, the Trollshaw. Is that right there? Whatever that river is called. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, one could imagine, of course, the increased water down here being some kind of chain reaction from the upsetness of the water up north of here, right, uh, in Gartha Garwin. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of unrest among water spirits, so it's not impossible that, uh, you know, the water table has risen down here uh, as a consequence, as a sort of a side effect, perhaps, of some of the mm-hmm. uh, the outflowings of the water up there. Um, I mean, this, it, it doesn't communicate, obviously. There, there's no stream uh, between there. There's no there's no waterfall over that bluff or anything like that. I'm not suggesting that directly and sort of mechanically, but um, just that, you know, the water table has risen, more water has gathered here. Um, mm-hmm. Because I mean, We know that the raising or lowering of the water level of a body of water is a kind of thing that those water spirits can do, right? We have precedence yes. for that uh, in Arid yes. Lewin, so, um, you know, within the Lotro world, so... I do think that uh, uh, it seems likely that this is a, uh, a... In fact, maybe it even dates from the time when this uh, 
was taken, right? I mean, maybe that's one of the things that drove the cartilagins out of here uh, was the rising of the water. Because, see, you'd think if it were built, if there were water here, there would be much more on the bluffs. I mean, you'll notice how, you know, up here there was something, right? It looks like some kind of tower or outpost up here. Um, mm-hmm. But, you know, across the way over there where there's much more high ground and what looks fairly defensible, there's almost nothing over there, right? Straight yeah. to the uh, straight to the west of us, so yeah, it's a boxed in canyon. Yeah, and they built down in the canyon, right? So, uh, mm-hmm. um, yeah, yeah, um, yeah, exactly. Um, okay. it also, yeah, it also would explain some of the areas in the Lone Lands which seemed completely devoid of water, but they have bridges. Right. True. Yeah, we do see dry bridges, um, very famously, like that one right past the Forsaken. Like the Lorne Span and a few of the others. Yeah, exactly. Um, oh, we got some ghosties, ghosties and ghoulies. Yeah, so we get whites here. Um, uh-huh. Okay, so now here we're just getting stars, but again, notice these are all stars with the point pointed upwards. Yep. Cartilingian star. Cartilingian stars. Um, this is kind of maze-like. Um, it's a little bit hard to imagine what this must have been exactly. Ah, uh, yeah, that did. Yeah, it, it really does turn into sort of a labyrinth, and that would only make sense if these were all rooms with different functions. But yeah, I mean, it's maybe a little storage. Bit, yeah. Now, I do have a hard time putting this one together because most of these walls, they look like outer walls, right? They look like, um, you know, like curtain walls that you'd have around the outside of a of a fortification. They don't, none of these look like interior walls, really. Yeah, um, I mean, maybe. maybe they were supporting walls of upper stories. Right, right. Yeah, maybe the we're in what would have been like the basement level. Disease vector. Hang on. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yes. Not not you on on the floor. Yeah, no, yeah, I actually have seemed to have caught a disease, which is of course perfectly fitting. Um, yeah, yeah, that is interesting. I mean, you can see even like this kind of. Uh, you look at this sort of thicker row of stones in the middle here, right? Um, mm-hmm. That looks like a, a, it could be a mark where a floor once was, right? Um, so that we were here, where we are right here is would have been basement. Yeah, I wish we could see better. It's getting very dark for some reason. It is getting dark because I think we're getting to a spooky place. Yeah, the, yeah, yeah. Well, Lich but, factory. Yes, here's a, here's a, is this uh, one of those, um, oh, it's the Bog Lord, right? I remember Bog Lord. Him. I played keyboard for Bog Lord. <laughs> And he's got his his white factory. Yeah. Oh, and mountains of skulls. Very. Yes. And then over here we get a yeah. goblin altar. Yeah, is this is one of those goblins. Yeah. Are there goblins here? Well, it's a gob- It's the shape that we've seen in Goblin Town. Yeah, no, I, the altar I'm sure of. Are there actual goblins in this region? I don't think I've seen any goblins in this region. <laughs> That's weird. They're, Maybe the monsters got the trolls. Are they thinking of yeah. importing goblins? Is this to to accommodate visiting goblins? 
Or does the goblin totem altar thing that we have seen many times before in lots of different places, um, does this have some kind of other function? Could be. Uh, and the other question is, is there's there are goblins in other parts of the Lone Land. Maybe there were goblins here and then they left or were all killed. Yeah. Yeah. There's some things even goblins can't really fix, you know. All right, nobody kill this guy yet, though, because it sets off chain reaction. Let's have Corey. Okay, all right. Yes, this is the other guy. Huge white yeah. factory. Oh, yeah, we're... Yeah, so that's... He, he can attack somebody, right. Boudra. Boudra. And then Boudra. we got the ghosts. And the ghosts... And the ghosts... Are Arthodyne guards. Yeah, the Arthodyne guards who were captured, and now they've been set free. So now they're going to go down the hillside picking off baddies on their way down. Okay. okay. So the ghosts are rising up against the ghosts. It's pretty fun. Right. And these are Cardoan tombs. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, yeah. this is just like the one we saw in, in Bree and in the old town. Yeah, exactly. Oh, he's back. The cursed men are mine, no one shall break them free. Yeah. Okay. Free them from Ivar. Yeah, Ivar Bloodhand. He's the right one of the major guys in the book three epic quests. Um, right. Behind us, look, we got the big scepter here. Yeah, huge scepter of an eminence here. All right, an excellent view of that. Mm -hmm. Still all with upward mirrors. pointing stars. Yeah. Yep. Mirrors the one behind it. Yeah. Yeah, I love how that white factory obscures the scepter of Anuminus, right? Yeah. It's cool. Yeah, I agree, Tony. Uh, white factory would be a pretty good metal band, and they could tour with Pelvis Fire. That would be good. <laughs> that would be good. Yeah, I would have that on my Halloween playlist. So, isn't that? Um, isn't this? These ruins are the place where they're. Uh, uh, these folks have been cursed by Tom Bombadil, right? Um, as I recall, cursed by Tom Bombadil. Yeah, didn't didn't Tom Bombadil? I mean, it's been a long time since I did that quest line, so I'm not remembering. But as I recall, mm. uh, it was actually Tom, like Tom Bombadil's curse for their betrayal that led to the ghost factor. Oh, mirroring the Stone of Eric storyline. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, yeah, mirroring the Stone of Eric uh, line with uh, Tom Bombadil playing the role of Isildur in that. Yeah, for what happened to the Red Maid, exactly. He blamed them. Okay. Yeah, yeah it's, man, this is... Unfortunately, I've only played through in Book 3, like, once, and that was with you. Yeah. So I'm a was, little fuzzy on some of the details. It was years ago, Yeah. Um, yeah. Even for me, it was been a couple of years since I've No, I'd, I'd say it was about four or five years ago we did that. Yeah, yeah. And I did it one other time solo um, with my one character who was doing the Completionist mm -hmm. Lone Lands. Um, and uh -huh. that was a, so was a little bit more recent, but still several years back. Okay, and this is the place where, despite the fact that I'm just discovering it, this is the place where we started before. See, this is the mm -hmm. kind of... 
location you'd expect, right? Up here on this bluff overlooking the lowlands. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but again, this is not even over here, is it the only or the primary for, as we can see, it continued off down onto the... Uh, I wish there was a high vantage point. We could see everything from above and maybe get a better idea of what it was used for. Yeah, of the overall... The opponent is kind I of think there's a, I think there's a ridge on the side. If we were to go all the way to the side there, there's a ridge we can look at stuff from above because there's a big bat that lives there. But maybe. even then, I don't even know if uh, we could see it in this darkness. Yeah. Yeah, I'm not really sure. But in any case, it seems pretty clear that ruins down here seem to be way too extensive um, for the... Uh, just to be a, a mere, like, fortress, a mere fortification. This looks mm -hmm. like it was a, like a city of the uh, of the Cardo engines down here. Um, yeah. Uh, unlike the, like, just the, the fortress that they made in the Barrow Downs, right, where they hold up. Uh, notice notice this uh, tree thing. Remember we saw this in Bree? Yes. This sort of rooty, branchy tree thing. With stars around it. With stars and with the scepter up above. Mm -hmm. um, makes me wonder now, I don't think I considered at the time when we were looking at that in Brie whether this was a specifically a Cardolan symbol, but it might be. I don't know. Yeah, I can't remember either. Hmm. Yeah. I like that interpretation of the, oh, rather obviously the white tree. Yeah, and there's and there's, there are seven stars, Fufu, and the one is down by the roots, right, where six are up above with the scepter. Uh, one mm -hmm. is down uh, at the roots, which is, you know, again, that's really interesting. Um, I I still don't. I mean, I didn't at the time really know what to make of this, and I still don't really exactly know what to make of this. Um, I, uh, um, this symbol, the tree symbol, you know, and, and why it's exactly like this, you know, okay. um, it's not the white tree. I mean, it's totally different from any other representation we've gotten of the white tree. And anyway, it would seem to be an Arnorian symbol with the scepter, right? Rather than a Gondorian symbol with the, uh, with the tree. And we, we don't see the white tree anywhere else in Arnor, so... I don't know. It's, it's, it could be like the telephone game kind of design, like you know, people <laughs> right. copied it and copied. No, that's a real thing, though. That's a real thing we see in some designs. So I can't think of any that come to mind right now. But you know, look at company logos; so they evolve over time. Right. And that's right. only like within this last two centuries. Right. But and, and you know, over right, time, a design will be simplified and simplified and, and changed according to what medium it's in. Perhaps. You know? Perhaps. I mean, it is true as. Um, as somebody was pointing out, uh, as uh, uh, V. Pinello was pointing out, of course, the white tree is originally Numenorean, so it's not like mm -hmm. a representation of the white tree is like restricted to Gondor. The Arnorians would remember the white tree as well. <laughs> but yeah, we, we don't see any evidence of them taking uh, the white tree as their symbol. Well, okay, I should say the only evidence that might suggest it are these two things, right? These two tree symbols that we see, the one here and the one in Bree. Um yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, it looks like an interpretation of somebody who's, you know, somebody described the white tree to them, but they'd never seen it. Yeah, yeah. The, um, the other thing is, 
um, the white tree that we know is symmetrical and very great for like weaving into things. That's a that's a good design for for um, any any sort of uh, pattern sequence thing like uh, weaving or knitting or crocheting or anything like that. Well, this sort of loopy guy is better like carved into something. Right. Right. Yeah, perhaps, perhaps. Okay, so Pontine says uh, there's deed text connected with the one that you find in Brie, which identifies uh-huh. it as a, a cre- the crest of the ancient kingdom of Arthodyne. So that's very interesting. Um, wow, an Arthodyne symbol in a cartilagium. And we know oh. that the uh, the ghosts that we just saw, um, the cursed ghosts. Mm-hmm. We're also Arthodinian guards, too. So, the solution to that is obvious, right? This was originally constructed by the people of Cardolan, but of course we know the people of Cardolan were the first ones to fall. Yes. And that uh, Rudaur and uh, Rudaur with their Angmar allies uh, and Arthodyne continued to fight after Cardolan had already fallen. So this was Uh originally a city of uh, Cardolan, but after the uh, the people of Cardolan were driven out from here uh, and took refuge in uh, uh, in the Barrow Downs uh, and were subsequently destroyed, uh, it would make sense based on the overall archaeological geography that we've been finding here in the Lone Lands. Um, this is on the Arthedanian side of the street, right? So um, it would make sense that the Arthedanians would take over uh, here, um, uh, you know, having a stronghold here or rather taking advantage of the stronghold that was here um, uh, after the, Cardo- the, the, the people of Cardolan had left. Hence all the soldiery ghosts. Yeah, exactly. Hence all the soldiery ghosts. Um, and it would make sense that... They, and if, as we are theorizing, the rising of the water level happened at the time of... Uh, happened a- at the time of the... Uh, uh, departure right was part of what uh-huh. drove them out so hang on so emelin here the ghost i'm trying to look at him he has such a pretty name yes he does <coughs> sorry <laughs> wow that was that was fearsome sounding sorry i apologize um that's all right sudden sneeze i thought, um, I thought that was ghosty noises coming yeah. from the machine <laughs> yeah exactly practically um, I'm trying to see if he has any markings on his armor. All I see is this sort of swell tell, on his shoulder. Thank you for turning around. That's very helpful. Uh, no, but nothing. I didn't see anything on his back. He's got very little in the way of markings on him. It kind of looks it's like he's got stars ball. on him, but that's just the stars on the tomb we're seeing through his person there, his semi-corporeal yeah. person. I feel really bad that he doesn't have a lower jaw, as of course they never really seem to do. Um, but I guess that's just part of it, you know. That's always the first thing to go on a soldier. Yeah, the lower jaw and then... The uh, lower jaw. You know, the teeth. Um, but, um, okay, so... Yeah, he's rather unmarked on the back, too. Yeah, he's co- seemed to be completely unmarked on the back. All right, so let's, let's keep going. So we have reason to think that there's connections uh, clearly constructed by the people of Cardolan and yet connections to Arthodane as well, which, is, again, is, you know, makes... Makes total sense. Mm-hmm. So we go over here to the shoulder of the hill, and we've got some walls down there, but again, no construction of any kind up here on the hill, right? Which you'd think 
would be kind of the point. Ooh, what's over here? Well, it depends on how long this has been this. here. Yeah, I don't remember it either, but here it is, and that would explain why there's nothing up here. Right, not that anymore. I don't think you can get through, though. No. Yeah. There's nothing in. Yeah, okay. All right, let's An go impediment for... to expansion. <laughs> let's go for a quick look through the trolls area over here. There's less, All right. of course, in the way of archaeology to be done over here. And the trolls, of course, are comparatively recent uh, arrivals, right? Yeah, uh, good place for it, though, with the tree cover keeping out the sunlight. Yeah, and slightly higher ground, as we can see. Uh, yeah, we got people camping in Harlog with the standing water, but the trolls are like, I ain't going to do that. There's right. mosquitoes. Right, the trolls are staying dry back here. Okay, all right, so I'm wanting to go down into the utmost corner here. Yeah. Where the sort of the heart of the trolls little, you know, area, little realm is. Mm -hmm. And there's the boss troll, right? Oh, yeah, one of them. Yeah. Oh, uh, yeah. Oh, he's a rare elite. Yeah. He's a big oh, deal. That's he. That guy. Yeah, he's gonna come after some of this. Yeah. We might have to take care uh, of him. Yeah, we might. Oh, yeah, too late. Too late. Engaged, engaged. Oh, he didn't take care of somebody. Uh, okay, you guys might want to bring him down. Okay, what I, what yeah, I was interested to see over thing. here, I mean, lots of go. natural sort of terraced land. Very, I mean, this is like a the a perfect natural location for like a bandit's hold or something like that, right? I wanted to see yeah, if yeah. there was any evidence back here where the trolls are of any previous construction to see uh, um, to see if there's any evidence that there was any activity here earlier. This can't count. This looks like a den, like the trolls probably made this. Yeah, yeah, no, that's just pile of rocks. Yeah, this is just a pile of rocks. Ooh, Loot the corpse. And another pile of rocks. So, yeah, so no. Pile uh, of rocks. Yeah. I see no They're not evidence. camping out anywhere. And here's the other troll. These are good rocks, though. I'm. You wonder, they, they, no wonder they were able to build a big city around here. There's lots of things to use for stone see, resources. Lots of good rocks here. Um, yeah, so... Interesting. I was, I couldn't remember if there were any ruins of any kind around Me neither. in this area. Well, we've seen trolls and goblins were camp out in other ruins, so exactly. it's not far-fetched. Exactly. So I wanted to check and see that, but there isn't, and that's... I think we'll see more of that once we get into the troll shaws. Yeah. Yeah. But that's kind of... Uh, that's actually really interesting to me, that we get nothing of that kind here in this whole area. I don't see any evidence that they were ever in here. Also, you notice that they're very much not inclined to go into the area where all the ghosts and you know, Who, bloated corpses are. Yeah, yeah. the trolls. Yeah. Even the trolls are like, I ain't going in there. Yeah, I don't see anything anywhere around here. Anybody no else totems any either. Yeah. No totems, no flags. 
Nothing pledging their allegiance to anything. Just free floating trolls. But it suggests that, I mean, yeah, I mean, it suggests that neither the people of Cardolan nor the people of Arthodyne ever used this place, which you'd think, I mean, this is a, you know, defensive fortification dream down here. Yeah, no, it's, and it's pretty, you know? <laughs> yeah, and scenic, right, defensible and also scenic. Um, so it's just kind of, so what I would take from that then, right, trying to then reconstruct the story, that would seem to confirm that the original Cardoan construction here was not a whoop, for sorry, thought I could get through there. Um, not a fort seat maze like. Right, that's what I'm talking about. Labyrinthine, yeah. these ruins. Um, yes. Not a fortification, but a city. Right. Yes. They didn't. They didn't come down into this valley and say, "What is the most impenetrable, most perfectly defensible spot?" Because if they had, it would obviously be where the trolls were back in that back corner, right? Mm-hmm. Um. Instead. They built their city out here largely on the plain and right in the dead middle, right? Like they came uh, to, Well, right? also Hang against on. the canyon wall, goblin. yes. Goblin what? Goblin. Live oh, goblin. Oh, goblin. Yeah. No way! There's a live goblin down here. Oh, uh, no, that's a Tarkip orc. Yeah, it's goblin-ish. You know, it's good enough. Okay, it's... Yeah, you're we right. must know if it's Arthur Danian or Carolingian, but <laughs> Orc right. and Goblin, eh, same thing. Orc or Goblin, yeah, exactly. Who cares? Um, right. So, so, so this, you know, possibly some kind of like palace or something up there on the main bluff overlooking the main sort of city down here. But yeah, so like they came down the middle of this valley and were like, let's build uh-huh. it overlooking this beautiful valley, right? Which presumably again was not flooded or filled with bog or bog filled with corpses at the time. So it was a beautiful valley and so they built their city down here. And then of course when the Arthedanian folks came down here, they were like, we don't need to build another fortification here because they weren't needing to fort up down here. They had plenty of forts no. right up at the top. Oh yeah. Uh, so, you know, I mean, up along the road, right, more sort of useful forts. And so they seem to have manned the spots down here uh, where the uh, uh, the city of the people of Cardolan were after they'd already been driven out. Again, I'm more, still speculating. More to keep the riffraff out. Right. Still speculating, possibly, uh, with the uh, raising of the, the, the water into the bog here. Um, mm-hmm. But so that would explain why they never built into the more fortified uh, and difficult to attain. But if the if this were the place where the men of Cardolan had come to fort up um, for their last stand, uh, they clearly would have um, built back up. I mean, honestly, that would be an even better place to defend than the um, than the Barrow Downs, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, also, thinking in terms of centuries here, you know, it's like were those trees always there? Right. Was that always an right. ideal place Was that for always trees forest? to grow? Right. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. But even just the land itself, you know, the way that the land is set, is yeah, yeah. of course it's getting dark now. Can't see the ruins from here anymore. Um, <laughs> but uh, but yeah, you can see how you can just kind of see how from here, from this end of the valley, that city would have looked beautiful, 
right at the far end mm-hmm. underneath the, the 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 you know the southern hills there and everything um yeah yeah so uh so yeah so i'm thinking this was the this was a city of the people of cardolan it was a peaceful city when it was a first you know built to be defensible but not built primarily as a fortification um but then they had to flee and they obviously fled without they fled entirely out of the Harloweg, right? They didn't just retreat back to where the forest was, or maybe it wasn't forest, but back into the hills in the corner uh, and fort up there. They fled the valley entirely, which leads you to think that probably the raising of the water level and possibly the invasion of the Unquiet Dead also happened at about that time. Um, well, keep in mind that the Unquiet Dead might have been the people who had suffered at the hands of Also Rodaro. true, yeah, also true that the Unquiet Dead might have been a consequence rather than a cause of, uh, of the departure of the people of Cardolan. And the defeat of the people of Cardolan, yeah. Yeah, cool. All right, so I think we have we have a working story. Uh, uh, see, this is, this is, to me, the point of in-game archaeology, right? Is to do the archaeology Yay. in order to come up with an interesting story, uh, you know, sort of uh, world-building, speculative backstory <laughs> that they are inventing, uh, or at least that we are speculating that they invented. <clears throat> I think it works. Yeah, if it's yeah. not what they were thinking, that is the Lotro developers, uh, then they should have. So uh, that uh, <laughs> if if uh, the developers tell me that I'm completely wrong in my interpretation, I will only accept their interpretation if their story is cooler than mine. Uh, if my story is cooler than theirs, then I will insist that they're wrong and I'm right. Um, but uh, anyway. Yeah. Well, you talk about J.K. Rowling, but I, I can tell you most creators, you know, you go up to them and say, I'm so happy that you intended this and this and this to happen with this and this and that. Most of them will stare blankly for a minute and then go, yes, that thing you just said, <laughs> I totally meant that. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Um, so, yeah. Yeah. If, uh, if, if ever the Lotro developers need to, like, give a historical explanation for, like, what was going on in the Lone Lands, I've got their backs. Um, <laughs> cool. All right. So next time we will move up into Gartha Garwin. It's time to explore Gartha Garwin and then we'll move over towards the last bridge. We've kind of skipped Gartha Garwin, but we should do that. Um, of course, yeah. Gartha Garwin, the whole story, you know, it's, it's a complicated story and, and we'll talk about that a little bit. Um, but I mostly want to see from the physical remains, uh, what we can see up there and, and, uh, how they've kind of depicted things. But anyway, um, Thanks very much, everybody, for joining us. I know it's it's getting late now, so we're going to sign off here. Uh, thanks for joining me on our exploration of the Harlow Egg. Thanks, everybody, for coming to class. Uh, and uh, as always, for your donations and support during our annual fundraising campaign, I hope that you'll still, if you haven't gotten a chance yet, uh, still uh, consider uh, giving a, a small donation to help Signum carry on doing what we do. Uh, and, uh, uh, you know, our fundraising campaign still goes another week and a half uh, from here. So thanks very much, everybody. Uh, and I will see you guys next week, the day after I come home from Kansas City. And hopefully I'll be <laughs> less sick. So, God willing. <laughs> thanks very much, everybody. Good night now. Bye. Thanks for joining me on this epic exploration of The Lord of the Rings and of Standing Stone's video adaptation of Tolkien's story. If you are having even half the fun I'm having on this journey, I hope you will consider supporting the project by donating at signumuniversity.org fund.